Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Friday, March the 11th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are wrapping with Michael Roviello. But before we jump into that real quick, you guys already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. It's the one thing I take every single day and I never miss. If you're somebody who struggles to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, almost all of us do, even myself at times, this is the one thing I would take to cover the gaps in your nutrition. Obviously, you have to eat real food as much as humanly possible, but I know it can be difficult, especially when you're busy running around and just kind of living life. So this is the thing I would throw in there to kind of cover the gaps you're missing with your real food. If you've heard me talk about this, Maybe this is the first time, maybe this is the 467th time you've heard me mention it on this podcast. Right now, if you want to pick up some, we'll give you a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up with the bonus stuff. Or if you're on the fence and you're like, well, Jeremy, I want to try it, but I'm not sure I want to buy it yet. Message us on the contact page, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, does not matter. However you can get in contact with us, send us your mailing address and we will have Monica send you a free pack right to your front door. 100% on us. You can try it, realize that it's the best tasting greens on the planet, and then get hooked up with all the free stuff from there. Again, you guys, there's probiotics in here, digestive enzymes. It's the antioxidant equivalent to like 10 to 12 servings of fruits and veggies. And if we're being honest, we've all drinking much, much worse shit, especially during our college and younger days. And that was not good for you. At least this is going to add something beneficial to your life, and it tastes great on top of that. So if you want to check it out, hit us up. Otherwise, you can go on the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. It's always a mouthful. So my man, Michael Roviello in the house. What's up, dude? What's up? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Appreciate so, being here. Uh, for these guys who don't know anything about you, uh, if you want to go origin story, uh, as far back as, uh, as you wish to go, who is Michael Roviello and how did he end up here today? Oh, wow. That's a long story. Uh, so my journey started in New York city, actually. I grew up in Queens, New York, um, born and raised there and, you know, kind of grew up in humble beginnings, single mom, raised four kids on her own. So I was just kind of finding my way. Not really sure on where I wanted to go, what I wanted to be, where I was going to, you know, end up, uh, just like many of us. And I kind of got in a lot of trouble, I would say, in my teenage years. I just didn't have any good mentorship or uh, discipline. Uh, It's definitely something I was searching for. Um, Like fighting, drugs? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Yeah, drugs for sure. Uh, Fighting, um, cutting school, um, just on a path to nowhere just you know not necessarily like a, a good layout of like oh you're gonna go to college you need to do this and uh but i had good work ethic you know I, I i worked and um i did what i needed to do to make money and um ultimately i had the opportunity um that came up at 20 to actually join the u.s navy and that was kind of like a turning point and changing point in my life and I figured it was just time to get out of Dodge and and leave New York and I'll always come back is what I thought, at least at the time. 
but realized I never did end up coming back. So I joined the U.S. Navy. Um, I kind of escaped um, some of the friends, uh, some of the situations that I had. I got really into the New York City club scene, actually. This was in the 90s, so this is like 97, 98. Uh, New York City club scene, there was a lot of a lot of ecstasy, a lot of drugs, a lot of uh, those types of things. Um, and, yeah, it was just kind of a road to nowhere. In its heyday. Like that was the that in was, its heyday, yeah. Or what is that? Um, what's the series? Uh, ESPN did when it was on the Mets, because the Mets were great. Was that late eighties, early nineties, maybe? Where like Daryl Strawberry's there. I mean, those dudes were fucked up all the time. Always. Yeah. Like so, they would show kind of like their lifestyle. I'm like, I can't believe these are pro athletes who are still kind of living the life, but they were in it. Yeah, that was '86, I think. Um, during those years, Daryl Strawberry's uh, years. I actually grew up. Walking distance to Shea Stadium, I could walk there from my house. No shit. Yeah, not too far. So, nice, dude. Yeah, really inner city Queens. And so then you started just going out, like living the life. Well, my dad left at a at an early age, so you know my mom basically went from a situation where she was like PTA mom to like, oh shit, I got to raise four kids and we got to figure out how to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. So there's just a lot of stress on the family. Yeah. And uh, just like. Any of us is just kind of like that early trauma that starts to kind of creep in. And um, those types of things start to um, affect our behavior, affect our mindset, affect our perception. Um, And all that's happening in the background without you really even knowing it. You know, it's kind of creating a lot of your uh, patterns in in life, you know, because I was young. I was six uh, when he left. So, you know, I just try to find my way. My mom was working a lot. So... There's a lot of pros and cons that comes out, come out of these situations. Like some of the pros are you become resilient, you know, you learn how to figure stuff out. But then there's a lot of cons that come with that too because sometimes you follow the wrong people. For sure. And in my neighborhood, I grew up in a kind of a tougher like like lower middle class, blue collar type neighborhood. And so a lot of the guys that I was looking up to were the guys that were hanging out at the parks, right? Like you go to the park and in New York City, there's guys playing basketball, there's guys playing handball, there's guys playing football, and there's a lot of guys just really just hanging out that are just up to trouble. And you want to be kind of brought in by them because you definitely don't want to be picked on by these older guys, right? And these guys are already, you know, doing drugs and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, you just think that that's cool and that's what you want to do. So you kind of have to find your tribe, you know, to survive there. And um, that's what I did. So I just kind of got mixed up with the wrong people at an early age and then just started getting into uh, some bad routines. And um, that starts to shape you. And then ultimately, um, I had a couple of, you know, incidents happen where I was like, okay, you know, I have to change my ways. There's got to be something different. Um, And there was like life kind of redirecting me onto a path of, time to get out of New York, that chapter's closed, and then move on to something else, because I really wasn't tapping into my abilities, you know, I didn't really know what my abilities were, Um, and the bar was set really low, I was setting the bar very low for myself, so uh, the next chapter, which was the military, gave me an opportunity to actually see what I was worth, and see what I was capable of, and see what I was able to endure. And why uh, why the Navy of all the branches? It just kind of came about randomly, or you picked it for a certain reason? Great question. Um, actually, all of the recruiters were interested. Um, Army, Marine Corps, 
Navy, uh, Air Force, um, all of that was available to me. Um, so I did have brief conversations with everyone. What attracted me most about the Navy at the time was where they were located. So if you look on a map and you start to look at all of the, you start to look at all of the, you know, um, bases, you start to see, wow, Navy's in San Diego, Navy's in Florida, you know, cool parts of Virginia, Virginia Beach. Um, you know, if you look overseas, there's a lot of great ports. If you start to look at the Air Force and the Army, some of the places kind of were in the middle of the country, like just wasn't that attractive. The other thing that was attractive about the Navy was the opportunity to travel because obviously you most likely could go on a ship, so you get to get to see a lot of places. So that's kind of part of the deal. And you hear all these stories about being able to go to all these different places around the world. So that was attractive. And my mindset at that moment as a young man was, I'm going to go into the military, learn a trade, and then come out and find a civilian job with the skills that I learned, almost like a college. Makes sense. And I was looking at aviation at the time, and I was thinking about becoming uh, a plane mechanic so that I could learn how to fix planes and work on planes in the military. And then when I get out, I could just go work at an airport and I found myself a good job. And that was the mentality at that time. And where did you get, uh, or I guess, where did you go first? Like as soon as you enter, you go through training and then they ship you off somewhere? Yeah, we call it Great Mistakes. That's kind of like a slang in the military. It's actually Great Lakes, Illinois. Okay. Yep. Um, there's a Navy boot camp is in Waukegan, uh, which is in like North Chicago. And that's the first place we go um, after you get obviously processed and all that stuff through um, through New York. They ship you there and boom, there you go. Boot camp starts. And I think it's like 14 weeks or something like that. And do you remember like what a like a typical day is like, like when you first get in? Like when did you want to quit is what I'm getting at. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to quit right away. I said, what did I get myself involved in? Yeah, like what, day one, day two? Yeah, day one, two, and three. You're I was like, like what did I do this? This is this is horrible. So, um, I can't get out of this. And I was trying to think of ways of like, I got to get out of here. This, this I don't want to do this. This is a joke. Um, this is not for me. I mean, all of those types of things came up. I'm sure they come up in everybody. Uh, the first three days are just like no sleep, a lot of yelling, a lot of screaming, a lot of like not sure what's going to happen. Um, they're just kind of like a shock treatment. It's like this big shock to the system. So I think the whole goal psychologically, it's like, okay, let's break you down. Let's like, I don't care where you come from, if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're white, like whatever your culture is, like we're going to dismantle that as fast as possible and we're going to get you into alignment um, to start operating in, in uniform, you know, and all that camaraderie stuff will come later, but mainly it's about like breaking down all the old systems and then getting you into routine. So everything is all about routine. Like, you know, I mean, they focus so much on simple things like making your bed. Like you think like, yeah, making my bed, no big deal, but that's like a big deal. And if the bed is not made perfect, they're going to destroy that bed and they're going to make you redo it and redo it and redo it. So it's a lot of like, mindfuck games that makes sense though yeah because that way it's like you all whether you're all pissed off together or all hate them together you're a unit and you unit can, mentality yeah that's the big i don't think a lot of people understand like that's why like that practice exists like let's you know basically crumble these fucking guys to make them nothing so then they uh, we build them back up to kind of all believe in the same system moving forward which is kind of interesting 
And repercussions, because think about it. If you're not operating within a unit or team mentality, and I am, well, great. But guess what? The mission's going to be affected because you're not pulling your weight. You're not meeting expectations. So they always punish people for someone else not meeting expectations. So you can be doing a great job in boot camp in basic training and be doing all the push-ups and the sit-ups and meeting the, 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 the times that you needed on the runs and all that kind of stuff. But if there's people in your unit that are lacking, well, guess what? You're going to be punished for that too. So it's not, it really takes away this individuality, uh, which was interesting because everybody kind of comes in as an individual. And I mean, I know I thought that way. I didn't have really a good concept of team and uh, that was kind of a really important lesson that I learned early on in life. It's kind of the ultimate team sport. Ultimate team sport. Because you're, is, I mean, the saying all the time, like, you know, you're only as strong as the weakest link. That's basically one of the real life applications of it. And your life literally depends on it. I mean, even if you're a mechanic. I mean, most people think about military. They always think about the guy that's like kicking in the door with the rifle and the guy behind him with the night vision goggles and all like the video game kind of stuff you see. But... In reality, if you're working on planes or helicopters in, in my community, um, if you're sloppy and you leave a tool in the main gearbox because you want to be off of work early and you just like hate the job and you want to get the hell out of Dodge so that you can go do something for the weekend and now the pilots are going to go fly the helicopter and that tool gets stuck in that, you know, in that main engine and now the helicopter is going to crash because you left the tool because you didn't do your inspection at the end of your work or something of that nature. So it gets down to detail. No. and it, Well, I mean, that's life in general, I think, which we get lost in civilian life a lot of times. Oh, yeah. What's um, like the physical training? You touched on it briefly. Uh, is there anything you can remember that's like this was the this was the hardest thing that we went through, or like the worst physical type training thing? Or it was all just kind of the basic stuff? Or were you, I guess, were you fit? When you went in there? Yes. Yeah. I think that's why. So ultimately, I went into the helicopter search and rescue program. That's what I got selected to be. Um, and I think a big part of that was because I was fit. So when I'm sitting in front of the recruiters, I was in good shape. I was, I wouldn't say in great shape, but I was muscular. And you know how that can be perceived as you're in good shape, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of people at muscle, oh, you're in great shape, but you can't run around the block. Um, Typically is the case, yeah. Right? So at that time in my life, in my early teenage years, or sorry, later teenage years, I was into bodybuilding. So I was muscular. So I had a lot of extra mass, essentially. And um, so from the recruiter's perspective, they're like, oh, you're in great shape. Um, so they had put a couple of options on the table for me. Um, SEAL was an option for me. Oh, yeah. The Navy Search and Rescue Program was an option. And uh, the dive uh, UDT um, uh, unit was also an option for me. Now, you have to, you can't just pick a job. Everyone thinks, oh, yeah, I could just be a Navy SEAL. I'll just pick the job. No, you have to meet an aptitude test. You have to meet a physical test. There's a lot of different things that go into that. But long story short, I chose uh, the helicopter search and rescue program. It seemed most attractive to me. Um, they described it well in some of the things I would be doing. Uh, not only doing search and rescue, but the main job actually was actually hunting and tracking submarines. So that was my main job was to track submarines from the sky. And then we would do second uh, as a secondary job was search and rescue. And then also as a secondary job was combat search and rescue. And that would be is actually when you work with special forces. But um, 
I had to lose weight um, when I was in boot camp because I was too bulky and um, I had to do more cardio. So I would say boot camp was not that hard. Um, I was okay. Um, I was able to do the push-ups, the sit-ups, the running. That was pretty basic. Uh, it wasn't a challenge for me. But once I left boot camp and I got into the aviation, air crew, and rescue swimmer program, that's where it became a real challenge because I was a recreational swimmer my whole life. I went to the beach in New York. I went into the pool. And that's about as far as my swimming went, you know, recreational kind of swim for fun. And when I got put in the search and rescue program, now I had all these guys from all over the country that were on the swim teams in high school. And we even had some like uh, pre-Olympic kind of guys, that guys that were like all state national champions. Oh, real deal. Real deal swimmers. Yeah. So, so you realize like how much you suck real quick. Immediately my confidence shot way down. I was like, oh no, like this could be hard to compete with these guys because when you're in the rescue swimmer program, you're competing. You don't have the job yet. It's all about we're going to class up X amount of people. We'll see how many are left at the end. Um, and one of the first swims we had to do was um, we had to swim a mile in flight suit and boots. And that was horrible because, you know, all the drag, of course, from oh wearing God. a flight suit and boots. Even if you're in a pool with normal clothes on, you can't move. You can't move. Well, I'm way too big anyway. It's not going to happen. Like, yeah. if I can just, like, stay afloat, that's a miracle in itself. I can't yeah. imagine with boots on. And a lot of muscle mass doesn't help you to swim well. You sink. You sink. Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. So, yeah, so I had to learn how to swim really fast. But the good news was this. I never forget in rescue swimmer school when we first got there. They lined us up on the pool, and they're yelling at us, and they're breaking us down because this is after boot camp, by the way. This is like, oh, you just got a boot camp. You think life's going to be easier. No, now you're in rescue swimmer school. Now we're going to really kind of weed you out. And um, It just gets harder, right? Like as you guys kind of progress, like they expect more of you. It depends what route you go, you know, like you can get out of basic training and, and you might go and do some supply job and, you know, you got to learn what you need to know about supply and basically it becomes like a nine to five type job, you know, you come to work and you do logistics and you go home. Yeah. I took another route, you know, I decided to go into like a kind of a high speed, high stress type of job. Um, so there was more weeding out that needed to be done before they would grant that position to you and actually allow you to go into the fleet to actually do the job itself. So I extended, um, most people do basic training. They do four weeks of school and then they're done and they're out in the fleet actually doing the job. For me, I did basic training and then I had to do, um, over a year of school before I was able to actually do the job. Well, so it was just a lot more school. And do they, do a lot of guys drop off during that time? Yeah, a lot of people quit mentally, physically, emotionally, can't handle it. And they're just using different tools that they developed over the years to try to find those gaps, to see what your breaking points are, to see if you're physically able to keep up. I mean, that's one thing. But we PT all day. So, you know, the, the physical thing is not extremely hard because, like, your whole life is, like, at that moment in time, you're just PTing. It's so like you wake up at what time, typically? Oh, we wake up at like 5 a.m. And then what does the day look like? We go on a run. and like, then How we, far? Well, it depends. Uh, we were in Pensacola at the time. That's where the rescue swimmer school was. So we would wake up and we would go on a you know good five-mile run, group run, right, all in formation. And then we would be done with the run, and then we'd go do calisthenics. So we'd do a stretch set, then calisthenics, and then you'd break, and you'd go – 
eat lunch and hang out for a little bit. And then the rest of the afternoon was spent in the pool. And then that's all pool training. That's just like getting your ass beat in the pool for most of the day. And then at the very, very end of the day, they'll actually start to teach you stuff. You know, actually how to be a rescue swimmer. But most of it was really conditioning. But as you get closer to the finish line of like graduation, you're learning more how to become a rescue swimmer. You're learning first aid. You're learning like the components of like how to work with helicopters, hand signals, all that kind of stuff. Um, how to assess different situations in the ocean, different scenarios that you might get into. But uh, most of it's like weeding out process, calisthenics, physical, mental, emotional, a lot of yelling at you, a lot of like making you do dumb stuff over and over and over to see like like your irritability, you know. For sure. All that kind of stuff. Because essentially you're jumping out of a helicopter into the ocean. Yeah, our motto is so others may live. That's just fucking nuts, dude. Like when you're thinking of that, you're what, 19, 20 years old. You're looking at that and like, this seems cool. Or like, what's the mentality? Because I think of it today and I'm like shitting my pants thinking about it. Well, for me. Or like, are you shitting your pants the first time you do it? Or you're just, you're prepared and you're ready to go? Well, my first time in a helicopter, I threw up. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I threw up. Um, Nervous or what? Well, helicopters are weird, you yeah. know? And we were doing something called auto rotations which means they take the helicopter really high and then they shut the engines off and it drops out of the sky. Oh, dude. Yeah, and then they turn the engines back on and they practice that over and over and over again. Your stomach just drops. Yeah, so that's probably why I threw up. But yeah, I was nervous too because I was flying with a a senior guy that was basically evaluating me. So there's the stress of like performance and that kind of stuff, right? To see if you're, you know, smart enough to like do the job. But... Um, back to your question, um, ultimately, I looked at the job as really exciting and really fun and really cool. And then they take you, right, and they put you in a group of all these other guys uh, around the country. So then that competitive kind of spirit comes on, like, even if this job sucks and I don't want to do it, like, I'm not going to drop out because I don't want to be the guy that drops out. Yeah. You nice. know, because the class is moving this way and you want to stay grouped up with the pack you don't want to be the guy that lags behind. So the ego kind of kept me in the mix, kept me moving forward, um, I think, because even in school, with all of the training that we went through, I had no idea what to expect the fleet, is what we call it, to actually be. Because everyone talks about all these stories, the fleet, the fleet. When you go out to the fleet, you'll experience this. When, you... But you can't really fully understand that until you actually get there. And then... Um, Ultimately, you just have to rely on your training and um, and that kind of stuff to to do well. So it's like a year and a half, basically, before you're like fully in the mix. For that job, yeah. Because not only do you have to learn the rescue swimmer stuff and how to be an air crewman, basically, you have to learn aviation. I went from knowing zero about aviation to learning a lot about aviation. But you also have to learn how to track submarines, which that's a whole other science. That's all math. It's all math. It's all oceanography. It's all secret. So you had to study inside like vaults and stuff like that. When I went to go study, I would have to study inside vaults. I have to shred all of my notes. Um, it was a whole like different understanding of a world that I was not introduced to. Uh, that was very new for me. So I learned everything about Russian submarines, Chinese submarines, um, every pretty much every submarine, all its capabilities. I learned how sound travels underneath the water. 
Um, I learned a lot about missile systems, radar systems, um, and um, yeah, just a lot of weapon systems because my actual title in the mil military was Aviation Warfare System Operator. So my job was really to operate um, warfare machines from the sky. So we were like flying mosquitoes with nasty weapons, you know. And you're just a kid. I was young. I was 20. That's nuts, dude. Yeah, 20 years old. Some kid out in the club doing ecstasy to now I'm in a <laughs> helicopter, right? It was, yeah, it was a very dramatic transformation for me. But that's a lot of military stuff, is it not? Like, there are typically younger dudes who get in, and it's like sometimes maybe not the easiest path, and then here they are responsible for, like, the most important stuff of all time. And, like, a year ago, two years ago, you're out doing dumb shit in the park. Yeah, I just think when you're smart, I mean, when you're young, like, you're just more bendable and, like, flexible, you know? And then as you get older, you're just more rigid. So they, they probably figured out, like, you know, we need to recruit people who are younger because we can mold them into what we need. And who, who, that, won't, who won't quit in the third day? Who won't quit, yeah. yeah. And most, yeah, exactly. Most adults would be like, I'm not doing this. I don't need to. At that point, you know... You just, I don't know, you're just kind of operating off the ego, I guess. You're just like, well, I'm not going to quit because I'm not going to quit, you know. Um, it's interesting. I mean, they have a science. They've really figured it out. And then the science gets even deeper because now you get into these special programs like Naval Special Warfare, which is the SEAL program and the Rescue Swimmer program and all these different programs. They have a different science of, like, how to find the ideal candidate. And if you went into a room of rescue swimmers, we all kind of, like, kind of look the same and act the same and behave the same way you know there's some variability of course but they they kind of know how to find them which is in, or make them really so more like make them find them and then make them yeah well it's like finding people who have a certain skill set and then they can mold it to kind of fit and i'm sure like when they look at a team this guy fits this role this guy fits this role and everybody's not the exact same even though you have i guess comparable skills but also ones that kind of play off each other too so you're in it for a year and a half and this is what year is this? 2000, 2001? Yeah, 99 to 2000 is where I spent most of the training element of the job. And then um, early 2001, um, I think spring of 2001 is probably when I actually started to get into um, doing the job, um, being assigned to a squadron that was what we consider active. And that means I would actually be deployed and go on deployment and actually do the role as a rescue swimmer and anti-submarine warfare operator. It's crazy that you're talking about this because, like, we'll do um, Coronado Island a ton. Oh, just that's where I was stationed. Oh, yeah, there's a Marriott over there, which is awesome. Yeah. And then the Hotel Dell is the other side. Oh, yeah. And so there's, like, a little beach, um, like a little beach taco bar. And last time we were there, or was it last summer? Yeah, because COVID, I mean, not that COVID's not still going on, but, like, COVID is, like, still this crazy thing that we're all freaking out about. And uh, I remember sitting there just like having a beer at this little uh, beach bar at the Dell and watching these kids just go in the water, out of the water, doing basically like, you know, what do you call them? Like sugar donuts or whatever the fuck they're doing. They're like basically rolling in the sand, mm -hmm. bear crawling in the sand and just over and over and over yeah. for like two hours. Get sandy and wet. And I'm like, this seems like misery. Misery. Uh, to me. And Heather's like, do you think you could do that? I'm like, for like a day. <laughs> You know, because I know what it is. Like, I can't. I'm too old. Like, yeah. there's no way my brain's already like, fuck this, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be that uncomfortable I for that long. I don't need to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is nuts, man. That's where I was stationed. I was stationed in Cornell. It's a good spot. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got to live and work and... 
be deployed out of there. It was a great place to be. Yeah, of all the places, that's, I mean, got to be one of the best. Plus the culture of the island is just, it's just a cool island. And, you know, when I was there, I didn't appreciate it that much because it was like, you know, I was younger and I just, I don't know, that was like, oh, it's work, you know. But I went back there on uh, 4th of July weekend of the of 2021. And I just, you know, just felt like, wow, this is where I was stationed. This place is beautiful. And watching the helicopters fly over uh, constantly, I was like, man, that was amazing. What a great time in my life that was to fly past downtown Phoenix with my door open. I started downtown San Diego with, the, with my door open and just kind of waved to people and um, just have that view of, of everything was something that, you know, I'll, I'll remember forever. It's pretty crazy how, cause I've been there. I mean, shit probably during, especially during COVID. Cause like we didn't travel international. We didn't do our normal fun stuff. We just drive over and the Marriott's in the Bayside. You can see downtown yeah. and then obviously it's there, but I didn't know the Naval base is so close. Like, so we're doing like dinner. We're doing catamaran tours, like kind of in the Bay and you obviously pop out last time we're there around one, um, I don't know if it's, it has to be, if it's the Coast Guard or whoever, they have one of those little little boats with like the machine guns and shit on them. Mm. They're like, you got to move this catamaran over. We got a submarine that's going to pop up over here. And then sure as shit, this, I've never been that close to one before. This giant submarine just rolling through and I'm like, damn, dude, yeah, this shit exists. Point Loma's right there. That's a very large submarine base for the West Coast. It's nuts that like that's, it's just there underwater and you have no idea. And you're no just like idea. living your life. I'm like, Jesus, dude. Yeah. This is a different, uh, we take it for granted, I think, us, like civilians, just you walk around like this is, there's this whole world that exists like next to us or like we're within it, but we're not really part of it. Kind of crazy to see. Yeah. Defense is an interesting thing. Yeah. It's just kind of hop happening in the background. And when you're in the military, at least from what I can remember, it's like I was in and out of society. Like I would go on deployment and life was so different and you know, weird out there in its own way and, and wonderful in, in its own way and shitty in its own way. And then we come back to San Diego and it's like, oh, I have to like, just like roll into just like, what is it life like to be a 22 year old living in San Diego and going on dates and going out to the bar and just doing normal stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, uh, you got to stop your life and uh, we got to get suited up because, you know, there's another war starting, which in 2003, you know, Iraq war started. So, um, yeah, so it was a, it was a weird way to like shift in and out of like being part of society and then being disconnected from society. It was a weird thing psychologically. And what was the first, uh, deployment you did? So I, um, got out of training and I was kind of ready to do the job and you know, like here I am, I'm the newbie showing up to the squadron, basically getting shit on again. Cause that's how it works. You know, like you you're the cool guy because now you graduated and then you go right back to being the shitty guy yeah. at the bottom of the totem pole in the squadron because now you're working with all these guys who have been in the Navy for, you know, up to 20 years or so, even longer. And you have to socially find your way through that scenario and prove yourself again, constantly proving yourself. And um, I got assigned to a squadron called Helicopter Anti-Submarine Squadron 8 in San Diego, California, which is fantastic. And um, I was the low man on the totem pole, uh, learning the job as a very basic rescue swimmer. Meaning that if there's a rescue, I'm the one going in the water because I'm the low man on the totem pole. That's how it works? Yep. 
if you yeah so it's like the senior man um is pretty much going to be the crew chief the lower man is going to be jumping in the ocean to go pick up the person who is drowning do you remember the first time you did that yeah it was actually in guam no shit yeah and guam was my first rescue ever um, were you like excited or were you nervous? Well, actually, no. The North Arabian Sea was my first rescue ever. And then Guam, I rescued a pilot. But um, yeah, so this is 2001. Um, and then September 11th happened, right? So what is that like? Because I'm in college, like watching it on TV. And you don't, we don't really know. Like I'm young, I'm stupid. You're a little older than me, so probably... A little smarter at the time, hopefully, than I was. <laughs> and I'm watching it, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And because we, everyone's freaking out, like, these dudes just really flew planes into buildings here. Like, what the hell? Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. What's going to happen next? And for you guys, what is it like? Same for me. Honestly, I woke up. I was in Fallon, Nevada. That's where Top Gun School is. We, so, just had, we were just playing it the other day. Oh, the new one? Well, no, the old one. Well, the new trail looks pretty badass, but... It's I, called Maverick, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's coming out, though. But um, Top Gun School for the Navy is actually in Fallon, Nevada. So we go up there and we train. And that's where we train with the Navy SEALs because we do all our combat stuff out there because Fallon, Nevada is in the middle of nowhere. And there's a lot of desert and we can blow stuff up. Nice. Our helicopter has missiles and uh, machine guns and all kinds of different stuff. So we can actually practice live, live ammunition out there. We can't do that in San Diego for obvious reasons. So we go out there, and we usually spend a month at a time. So I actually woke up to watching it on my television, and then immediately I got on a helicopter that same day, and I flew to a ship that was off the coast of Los Angeles. And um, I spent, I think, three weeks on that ship guarding the city of Los Angeles on an aircraft carrier, just flying around in circles and telling boats to to get away and all that kind of stuff because we didn't quite know what was happening. Yeah. And that was in September, of course. And then when we got back into San Diego, all the bases were kind of like on a high threat level. And then ultimately um, they said, okay, um, your deployment is starting early. I think we were supposed to leave in January or February, but they got moved up to November. So we basically um, got our lives wrapped up and said, we're going to war. And we went out west, and we head to um, um, the North Arabian Sea, which is the body of water that sits on the coast of India and Pakistan. And if you fly over Pakistan, you're in Afghanistan. And uh, I spent nine months, I think, out there, eight months. And what is that like? Obviously, you'd never been there before. You're a young kid. Hey, we're going to fly into Afghanistan. I was excited. Oh, shit. Yeah, to be honest with you, I was excited. Um, I felt at that time... Um, angry because I'm a New Yorker. My oh, yeah. city was attacked. For sure. You know, I, I was angry. I was um, feeling very patriotic at the time. I was, um, you know, I was ready to do something unique. I wasn't really that afraid of death for some odd reason. I probably should have been. Oh, you're young. You're young. You're yeah. invincible. Yeah, I kind of had that. Um, but, you know, you do so much training in the military that, like, you want to like put it to work, you know, same thing with rescue is like, I hate to say this, but it was like, you fly all the time. Like, man, would somebody crash already? Like I want to, I want to get a live rescue and you don't want anybody to crash. You don't want anybody to be hurt, but you want to actually put yourself in the game. You know, it'd be like sitting on the sidelines all the time in, in, in the athletic world. Right. Well, you practice, you practice, you practice, you drill, but you can never, Sunday never comes. There's no football exactly. game. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, we really just, wanted to get in the game and actually 
go out there and see what it's all about. And, um, we didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect. Um, so, and you know, there was no submarine threat really, uh, from Afghanistan, but we knew we were going to do like search and rescue missions. Um, we do something called combat search and rescue basically where our main job, um, is to um, rescue downed uh, aviators. So let's just say a plane is flying and they're doing some sort of bombing mission of some kind over Afghanistan and they get shot down. Well, that pilot ejects, uh, who's going to go get them? So that's a big part of what we train for is to actually create a package of planes, helicopters included, to go in there and extract um, that pilot out safely. So we practice that quite a bit, and that's a big part of what we do in Fallon. So a lot of our role in Afghanistan was doing that combat search and rescue, but also doing search and rescue for the battle group because there was a lot of ships out there. There's American aircraft carriers. There was British ships. There was French ships, Italian ships, Australian ships, Japanese ships. It was a coalition force. So I got to work with all the different navies, and I would fly my helicopter onto different ships and kind of work with their navies too, the French and all that kind of stuff. French would kind of come on our ship, and we would do like a lot of cross-training, and, and, and it, was pretty, it was pretty cool. It opened up my eyes to like just really understanding like the big picture of like kind of a global movement. And at that time, everybody's basically, if people can remember, if people listening are old enough, like America's like America. And what I mean is we're all like, fuck Afghanistan and we're like fuck those guys it's like the whole American like we rallied it's like what I would hoped we would have done like after the pandemic or like during it we like let's all come together and except we did the opposite like we went but at that time like it's all America is everything like everybody's kind of in it at least at, at, at the beginning there was a lot of um, patriotism I think I remember when our ship came home from that um, deployment I forget how many people were waiting at the dock like thousands uh, Jay Leno was on my ship. He filmed a whole like segment. I think he spent one week on our ship. They flew Pamela Anderson out to the ship. Tom Brokoff. I flew in a helicopter with Tom Brokoff, and like they did a, a whole um, series called Carrier Out at Sea. And you can still find it. It's out there. I'm That's actually cool. in the video. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of um, a lot of publicity. Um, very pro-war but you know i learned a lot about like war and propaganda and i kind of a different mindset today than i did back then but ultimately i was uh yeah i was excited to be in the war my family not so much but i would say i was i'm sure your mom and, and family was like freaking out she was scared yeah i'd imagine i'm her only son yeah well and like you did she still live in new york at the time she did oh yeah so it's like you're in the shit so you're taking it super personal and then like, oh, my kid's gone too, which is kind of crazy to think. Yeah. It's weird how that is. And I'm sure like at this point you're older now, you can look back on a lot of that stuff, like how, you know, the, you know, war is a, it's a business. It's a business. Huge big, one. Big machine. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know anything about that uh, at that time. I learned a lot when I got out and that was an interesting transition for me to learn about that. And we could talk about that too. Um, but Ultimately, uh, the, the military was a great experience for me. I learned a lot. I um, I got the mentorship that I needed. I learned the discipline that I needed. Um, I was in the best shape of my life because I was an excellent swimmer. I became an excellent swimmer. I became, like how good are you now? 
mm, I'm decent now. Like I swim laps for fun because it's just like a different kind of cardio. But I got into this stuff called XPT. You know, Laird Hamilton. Oh, dude, he's fucking nuts. Yeah. So I became a certi- crazy. certified coach for XPT yeah. um, because I like pool stuff, you know, because it's like in my blood now. So I do some pool trainings with the weights and the dumbbells. and Oh, yeah. Um, so I like that stuff now for sure. And I think it's kind of like a unique offering for uh, fitness, which is kind of fun. And um, so I do that now. But ultimately, um, I was in great shape. I was a very fast swimmer. And it's, you know what's funny? As shitty as a swimmer as I was when I went into the Navy, I was like, a, like I said, a moderate kind of mediocre swimmer. Um, I almost broke one of the records at Rescue Swimmer School. Oh, shit. Yeah. I was really good at buddy towing, which means um, if I grab somebody, you put your arm around them, and then you swim sideways with fins and snorkel, and you have to, like, move them. And that's how you carry people in the ocean. Like, you're literally towing them wherever you need to go. And the helicopter drops the hook, and you connect, and you hook the person up, and you guys both go up together, and that's how we do business out at sea. But I was really fast for some odd reason on the buddy tow, and I, like, came very close to breaking the record, which was crazy. Because all of these guys who came from these, excuse me, professional swimming outlets, right, where they were like all state, you know, collegiate swimmers. I never forget in rescue swimmer school, they're like, you know, they they started yelling. They're like, I don't give a F if you were all national, all state swimming champ. You mean nothing here. You know, da, da, da. And the reason why is because they've developed a certain way of swimming, which was a lot of pulling, upper body strength, pulling. But when you put a big pair of fins on, and now you put a vest on, harness on, goggles on, snorkel on, it's a whole different type of swimming. So um, they had to adjust and use more legs. Where me, I was kind of fresh and like open to suggestion. Yeah. And um, so I actually worked out in my favor, and I was able to kind of uh, do pretty well in rescue swimming school. Well, and they're in this controlled setting too, right? Hey, we're swimming laps, like in a college pool or Olympic pool, whatever it is. And the water's perfect. It's on our timing. Exactly. And now it's like, it's like. Temperature's warm. And there's no, it's not the ocean. It's not the ocean. You're not dragging somebody. It's like they learned to shoot a basketball for 20 years. And then you just learned when you got there. And they could just, but you're playing basketball in this arena and they learned in a different arena. Exactly. That's interesting. I would imagine there's, they have good habits that helped them, I'm sure. But a lot of the things that made them great in the pool don't necessarily apply to the task which you guys are doing. Yeah, it's just different, you know, and you bring a lot of different set of skills to uh, different environments, you know, which I reflected on as, a, as an older guy. Um, but I had great work ethic because, you know, New Yorkers, they pride themselves on work ethic. And even though I grew up with kind of humble beginnings and tough, like I always had a job, always worked, always kind of fended for myself. You know, my mom was, you know, trying to make ends meet. So, you know, I couldn't really rely on mom, you know, it wasn't an option. So I was always having a hustle. So I had great work ethic and that work ethic that I brought into the military actually helped me out quite a bit because some of the people, you know, in my unit, like they didn't have that same work ethic, you know, they didn't have to, they grew up a little bit easier, a little bit softer. So, um, those little like mindset things can go a long way. And I, I just, you know, I, I realize that now and, um, those things are important. And how long were you, uh, in for? I got out just before 2005. So, um, yeah, a little over five years. And, um, I, um, decided to get out actually, which was interesting. Um, didn't want to do the full 20. 
No, they were really upset with me because um, I had a really good career. I became naval air crewman for the entire United States Navy. Um, I got a medal. I um, became, uh, I had a couple rescues, so I had a medal for that. I was kind of like the golden boy of my unit. And uh, so pretty much they gave me anything I wanted. They said, well, what do you want to do? You can go to Pensacola. You could become a rescue swimmer instructor. You can, you know, uh, become uh, an instructor here at the squadron. You could, I mean, I could have probably petitioned to go overseas. I could have done a lot of things. But my life was so, the Navy life is like tough because like I said earlier, like you're just living normal and then, oh shit, I got to go back out to sea and like, do that and then come back and be normal and then that was really messing with me so I was reading a lot when I was in the military I was like uh, I was just constantly reading you know just read 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 and I was reading you know so many books and I was learning so much and digesting so much information that I was really interested in like getting out into the civilian world and trying to make money I was very I became very motivated by money at the end and uh, so it was just time for me to get out because you're not making shit not making shit but you know i had a lot of money in the bank because when you're on deployment you don't spend shit yeah you know so like i like literally came back from one of my deployments with like 20 grand like who gets to save 20 grand in like seven months like usually nobody when you're a young kid in their 20s nobody no yeah so like i set myself up pretty nicely i was actually able to get out of the military and buy a house at 25 years old which for me growing up like i said you know with pretty much poor and i was like whoa i could buy a house like crazy yeah that's like unheard of because in new york it's so expensive to buy a home like typically you buy your first home at 40 you know i know it's nuts i just watched the show uh what is like the worst roommates or something on netflix it's trending right now anyways one of the ladies was in there and uh it was two of them there's like this guy i don't want to spoil it for anybody but i'm going to he's like a serial squatter he like moves in and doesn't move out. The one lady was in the Bronx, I think. And then the other lady, like, had bought a condo, like, on the ocean. And she's, like, describing it. She's like, I bought my first place. And she was, like, 45 years old. But she had two fucking roommates. And I'm like, what? Kind of. My, me and my wife are go, could you imagine? Like. No privacy. Have, having two roommates in your 40s in a condo or, your, like, your apartment that you bought. Mm. But the point, your point is they're so expensive. Yeah. Most people can't afford a, a million dollar little apartment which is still a yeah, shitbox it's unheard of everybody rents so it's like you know it's like, that's the mentality there it's like you're just a renter you know, just rent 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 so for me to move to Arizona you know and like whoa I could get out of the military have some money in the bank I could buy a home it has a garage wow I have a pool that was like luxury that was a big deal for a guy like me so you got out and you moved here yeah, I got out of the military. I deployed twice. I deployed, you know, in 2001 for Afghanistan, Operation Enduring Freedom. We got deployed for Iraq in 2003. They sent us over to the Middle East and then sent us to Asia. There was a whole conflict with North Korea at the time. He was launching missiles. We were, like, basically planning a war with, you know, North Korea. We were training with the Air Force and the Army, spent a lot of time with them. That was an interesting um, deployment um, the whole Iraq confrontation was happening at the same time. And then I got out and then, um, we had, I had a mishap in the Navy We had lost a really expensive piece of equipment. And, um, I was having some, some, some injury stuff, which we'll get into, but, um, ultimately, yeah, 
it was time for me to get out. I get out and all I wanted, I wanted a nine to five job. I wanted a golden retriever and a white picket fence. I wanted like, I wanted stability. Yeah. And I, I got that. I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona. I bought a house. I worked a nine to five job and uh, I bought a golden retriever. What's uh, and why, why he, had you been here before? I had a friend I grew up with in Queens. Uh, he had moved here and I came one Thanksgiving and he was um, living here. And he said, well, why don't you come visit? Because I'm in San Diego, right? It's hop, skip, and a jump. And I came here. And I was like, wow, this place is beautiful. It's amazing. And he kind of grew up like me, you know, kind of uh, from humble beginnings too. And he was like, dude, look at this house I have. And like he lived in this beautiful house in North Scottsdale. And, you know, so I was just like really drawn to like this, like this idea of like having more, like having more will make me happy. That's what I thought at the time. We all do as kids, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow, if I have more stuff, then that means I'll be happier. Little did I know. I learned that, I learned, you know, that mistake, learned that lesson. And what year uh, did you move here? Just before 2005. So it's still cheap. Yeah. Compared, was, I mean, compared to today. Yeah, it was super affordable. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we get all kinds of cool benefits as military. You know, we get uh, uh, different kind of mortgage programs and stuff like that. So you got a spot, you're here, and what is the transition like to civilian life? Easy? For me, well, I thought it was easy. I didn't realize how many problems I wasn't dealing with, to be honest with you. I thought it was easy. I came out, it's party time, nobody telling me what to do, I'm a free man. I was 25 years old, about to be 26, I was in fantastic shape, I had money in the bank, I was living in Scottsdale. I was single. I was having a blast. I was having lots of fun. I had GI Bill money. I went back to school. I was going to get my degree. I had all this experience. I had confidence through the roof. Everything was wonderful. What could go wrong? What can go wrong? And so you start working right away or you go back to school right away? Both. I started working, going to school at the same time. And how does it progress from there? You get a job, you're working. Yeah. school what was the for in terms of school wise what did you want to do i didn't know but so what i did was business i think a lot of people do that right go into a business degree when you don't really know what you want to do and learn business from people who didn't run businesses yeah, yeah exactly makes that's sense what, that's what we do right yeah um so that's what i did and i got an undergraduate degree in business and then um i was going to school at night and working during the day and um Spending a lot of money, I was, I was just like overspending, like buying a lot of stuff that I didn't need from cars to motorcycles to boats and just playing that silly game. Um, just thinking that those things were like f feeding me in some way. And they were feeding me in some way, but not feeding my soul really. And um, I was drinking a lot. I was going out a lot. I was uh, smoking a lot of weed too. It was just like back to kind of some bad habits that I had like let go of. Um, during my military time, I had a kind of a mentality of that I'm invincible um, because I can work full time. I can go to school full time. I can make good grades. Um, I could still drink and basically be a drunk, but still function, you know, and wake up and do do the job. And uh, no one would know. So I, I just like what I like to show people is I looked really good on paper. You know, I had a good job at education, you know, as a military patriot, you know, uh, 
all this kind of stuff. But like inside, I was having like a lot of emotional problems that like were unresolved. And because I like kept them like kept them down or didn't deal with them, they were showing up in different ways because you can't quite hide stuff. Yeah. So I had like bad ulcers and um, I had really bad anxiety that um, I was hiding. But um, in the mornings, um, I would gag all the time and I would basically puke almost every morning. No shit. Yeah, but it wasn't like a puking like food. It was more like um, like dry heaving. Really? So I pretty much spent like a good portion of my mornings as I was getting ready for work dry heaving. And I never understood what that was or knew what that was or why. I just like did it and it's like something I just kept my mouth shut about. And then I would just like carry on my day and then go right back to like the same old habits. And how long did you do that for? Years. Years? Yeah. That just became a normal life routine. Yeah. And then, I, you know, girlfriends that I had over the years, like, they'd be like, are you okay? Like, what's going on in there, you know? Um, so, like, they knew it was a problem, but, like, I didn't really let it, anybody else know it was a problem. I also had gotten injured in the military, which I didn't talk about too much. And um, I had a lot of neck pain, and I didn't know what that was, but I had, like, a lot of neck pain. But Just undiagnosed? undiagnosed i mean the military didn't do a good job of diagnosing it they just literally gave me a lot of medication so i just like got hooked on like if you have pain you just take a pill so anytime the pain would flare up i would just get on um muscle relaxers pain pills and anti-inflammatory pills and it would kind of like go away for a while and then like it would spike and then would go away so i like did that dance for like a really long time and um eventually it starts to really creep back post-military and it was like creeping back where the pills weren't working anymore so i had to take it a step further and, and actually start to get treatments so i started like getting all these treatments where they were doing uh steroid injections um uh they're called epidurals yeah and i was getting the epidurals and then i was in your spine in my spine like c-spine t-spine yep yeah. in my cervical my neck jesus so um, I was walking around a complete mess, and uh, I was still exercising like an idiot, like just like not even like having any sort of like restraint, still lifting like heavy weights, like just doing things like backwards, you know, like. Like every dude at 26? Yeah, just like heavy lifting just for the sake of it, not really understanding the mechanics of the body. I wasn't doing the cardio that I used to, was doing in the military. I got away from that. It was more about just like putting on like size and strength again and just like all these bad habits. And I had like bad, um, like um, what I would say, like self-talk. You know, my mindset was was uh, was a little bit intense and... um. I got diagnosed with PTSD and I didn't want to accept that. So yeah, I just kind of was still numbing to a lot of alcohol. So a lot of drowning things, like things wanted to come to the surface and I just kept pushing it down and drowning, drowning, drowning. And I really lived a long period of my life that way until it got to the point where my neck got so bad that I had to um, um, ultimately get a surgery. It's called the anterior cervical. It's where they go in through your throat, they move your esophagus and then they have to remove discs my yeah. spinal cord was being choked and then they had to um fuse my neck with titanium and then that messed up my hands and my arms and i had a lot of atrophy and all kinds of stuff and this I kinda is had, you're 26 yeah so i think that surgery came about at 28 okay yeah 
So they had put discs in there, like titanium ones? Yeah. Plates, yeah. Four-inch plate, I think it is. We have a buddy who does medical device. That's what he does. Yeah. He sits in the surgeries all day. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, they come in through the front. That's what they did, Pretty gnarly, dude. Yeah, it was a gnarly surgery. And um, like eight months later, um, well, at first, like everything started to heal and I started to feel a lot better. But eight months later, all the same stuff started coming back. And ultimately, I was like, oh, no, like, I'm not going through this again. Like, another surgery? And my surgeon was like, yep, we're going to take you back in. We're going to go above and below. We're going to fuse that part. We're going to clean the area up. And, I'm and like, this is from just wear and tear? Well, it's a combination of things. Um, when I was on the rescue hoist, you know, when you're getting um, pulled up out of the ocean from a helicopter, um, there's these hoists, right? And they hook up to your harness. And when you're going up, it jerks your body. And I remember it jerking once because the guy who was on the on the, the joystick up there in the cabin, he didn't know what the f- he was doing. And he was like kind of jerking me on the way up and I was spinning. And it was just like, I remember like my neck hurting from that. And then also helicopter crewmen because of the vibrations of the helicopter. It's like a, it's a very unnatural vibration. Oh yeah. And what it does is, uh, what I've heard is at least, is that it moves the discs out of place because of the vibration. So a lot of actually helicopter people have um, um, some spine issues. And a lot of time with heavy night vision goggles, helmet, always forward. The thoracic rounding, yeah. Always forward, you know, heavy goggles, you have all this gear, you're sitting in a helicopter five, six hours at a time sometimes. It's just, you know, just a bad environment. So a combination of that. Um, but ultimately, I got the surgery, and then they recommended the second surgery, and um, that's when I said no. And ultimately, that started my journey into uh, alternative natural health and wellness and um, all that kind of stuff that I'm into now. And so is that how, like, Optimize comes about? So for the people listening, like, explain to them, like, what exactly Optimize is, what you guys do, and then we, we'll go kind of into your journey just so they get to kind of background on it yeah so my business partner and i we opened up optimize which um we call a a human optimization center and uh, it kind of falls under the category of biohacking and uh, say wellness and uh, mainly what we teach is uh, a kind of a proactive approach towards mental physical emotional spiritual health um, using um, natural techniques kind of ancient um, wisdom but with new technology and um, some of the technologies like IR saunas and red light therapy. And we have something really cool called the biocharger. And we teach breathing exercises and um, cold water therapy and warm water hydrotherapy and contrast therapy and compression therapy. And um, I got certified under the Wim Hof method and teach that method as well. Um, so it's really just a change in mindset and giving people an opportunity to... Um, utilize these therapies uh, for for overall wellness physical health but mental and emotional is equally important which i learned much later on in life and basically to find like hey what's the root cause instead of just masking it with pharmaceuticals or and again there's nothing wrong with surgery like obviously like if your acl is torn you got to fix it dude but cutters cut like that's that's what surgeons want to do exactly and you guys are in alternative to, and again, obviously, like every medical diagnosis is different, but this is a more, hey, can we fix what's really going on with other therapies so you don't have to be on drugs basically the rest of your life? Exactly. 
And so your health issues kind of spurred this? Is that how you got into it initially? For sure, yeah. Um, when I made the choice to kind of explore natural modalities, I kind of went down a bunch of rabbit holes. I learned about a lot of things. I um, ultimately had to change my perspective of looking at the body. I used to look at the body like a car. You know, if something's broken, like an alternator or a starter, like you replace it, you rebuild it, and then you, you know, put it back in the car, and then you start the engine. I had to change my mindset and start looking at the mind-body connection was so important. I read a book by Dr. Uh, John Sarno, and it was called The Mind-Body Connection, and it taught me a lot about psychosomatic pain and how psychosomatic pain is um, a real thing and how it's actually causing physical pain in the body. So I started to explore that and realized, well, maybe a lot of my pain is coming from like this unresolved mental and emotional stress that I have, well, I was creating by my bad habits and my lifestyle, but also from my early years as well and also my time in the military that um, I may have suppressed. And ultimately, um, I started to adopt uh, different things like meditation and start learning about meditation. I started to learn about breathing exercises. I started to learn about uh, native ancestral practices. I got really into uh, anthropology and history. Um, I went down to the Amazon jungle of Peru and Brazil and uh, learned about different healing modalities uh, that the native people used from the Amazon basin. Um, how does that? How does that come about? You just wake up one day and you're like, you know what? Documentary. You and you're like, I'm gonna head to the Amazon then. Well, you know how life kind of like presents opportunities for you, you know, it's like you think something and then like it can like manifest and it's like, whoa, that's weird how that just like came out. Yeah. So I actually got introduced to a documentary by a friend and I watched the documentary and I was like, oh, that's fascinating. I'm interested in that, but I had no interest in doing it. I just thought it was a fascinating documentary and the documentary was called DMT, the spirit molecule. Oh, yeah. And I think Joe Rogan kind of narrated it or a piece of it, right? Yeah. And it was the John Hopkins study. And then shortly after, my friend of mine had introduced me to a woman who lived in Brazil. And she and I had made a connection. And then uh, shortly after, I was going to Brazil to um, to visit her. And then while we were getting to know each other, right, through this process of, you know, talking remote and FaceTime, or it wasn't FaceTime, it was Skype back then, um, she was like, well, have you ever heard of this thing called ayahuasca? And I said, well, yeah, I have. I've watched a documentary. She goes, oh, you have? Well, when you come to Brazil, would you be interested in trying it? Sure. Why not? You know? And how old are you at the time? This is 2014. Um, I was in my 30s. Yeah. You know? And you're like, fuck it. I'll do some drugs. Yeah. It's like, why not? I'll be interested in that. And then I went down there, and then she introduced me to it through like a group of people that she had worked with. It was a church, actually. And then um, I started to explore that whole world. So you did ayahuasca there? Yeah. How what was that like? It was amazing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, I had a good experience. I had All my experiences were good. I did a lot of ayahuasca over the years, but um, it was a good experience. Um, How does it work, like, when you show up? Like, do you know what to expect because you watch people go through it? No. No, I didn't know what to expect. I knew I was going to be drinking something, and I knew that I was going to have some sort of visions. And I mean, I had some experience with this. I had tried LSD when I was a teenager, so like, and I had done mushrooms when I was like 15 or something like that. So I kind of had a general idea, yeah, but I didn't quite know. 
Um, but there was a shaman and it was like very orchestrated and it was like the set and setting was very like, you know, like dialed in and it was a very specific type of music that they were going to play. And it was like, a, it, was a, it was a thing, you know, they know and, what they're doing. Yep. And I didn't speak Portuguese. So that was intimidating for me because I'm like, well, what happens if I need help? You know, like, cause like, people get sick typically. Yeah. There's a process of the ceremony they call the purge. You purge and basically it's like a release of energy and through the, the gut, you know, because this is like an energy center and we carry a lot of emotions in our gut and the medicine kind of can stir that stuff up and you can release a lot of energy. It's so either like puke or shit. Yeah. The puking is um, common and, and there's a detox that occurs through shitting too. Um, but the weird thing about puking is that like a lot of times, you know, when you drink too much and then you puke, it's like, oh, I drank too much. I got sick. And then you're like puking up like a bunch of like nasty stuff that you ate. You feel better. Yeah. But, but when you're doing the ceremonies, what happens is um, you're fasting prior. So like you don't have a lot of stuff in your gut. So really you're just releasing like energy. But the weird stuff is like as you're purging, like you kind of can see what you're releasing, like arguments and different things that you had. Like, no shit. Yeah. So there's like a visual experience that's actually occurring at the same time. It was really wild it it was it felt really nice so most people are really scared of that part like oh i hate throwing up but to be honest with you it was probably the most beautiful part because i was like oh yeah i don't want that get get out of here like i don't want that no it's more it's like shit you're holding on to yeah 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 so that was really interesting and yeah it showed me a lot of things that night the ceremony itself showed me a lot of things it showed me kind of like a little bit like maybe what happens when we die, like what can happen and like the bigger picture of things. It showed me some snapshots from my early childhood and some of the patterns that like I had adopted and why I had adopted that pattern for certain reason. And it was very gentle with me. It was very like, hey, like these things happen for a reason. And like, you know, you learned from it, but like, don't judge yourself too hard. You know, like you're doing good. Like, stay on your path like you're in the right place like you know it was very encouraging um the messages that i was getting and it's like who's talking to you is it yourself is it your soul is it an entity it's weird to describe it was hard to describe but it was really beautiful and the people that were there were really nice and uh really cool and gentle with a gringo like myself and uh, so i can say that all my experiences were very positive because some people have like a bad trip right well, I don't think there's a bad trip personally from my experiences. I just think that sometimes there's a shit that you don't want to see or maybe you're not ready for. And what I learned about uh, these medicines, because I've tried not just ayahuasca. I went down there and I've done frog poison. I've done all kinds of stuff. It's called cambo. And they actually um, burn your skin and they wipe poison on your skin. So you have this like crazy immune reaction. And it's basically like a natural vaccine because your body basically gears up this whole powerful immune response and you purge and you feel sick and you get a fever. But like after the 20 minutes of like letting that pass through, you feel amazing. So what I've learned about all of these natural medicines or anytime you work with nature, even if it's an ice bath, you have to surrender. You have to mentally, physically, emotionally kind of like let go and surrender in the faster you're able to do that, like the quicker you'll find peace. So I think when people hold on, they try to control the scenario um, it can really like send you in a million different directions and, and kind of really give you a good wedgie. 
It's crazy because if someone was like, hey, Jeremy, do some frog poison, I'd be like, you get the fuck out of here. You're a crazy person. Like, you, you don't have any of that. Well, you know, I like to research stuff. And so you kind of know a little bit. Well, I knew a basics. The basics of what I knew is like, okay, I'm going to get sick. Okay. Yep. All right. Got it. Um, I don't want to get sick. I mean, who wants to get sick? But what's the potential outcome of this? Well, the outcome is like I can release a bunch of stuff and feel great. All right, let's give it a shot. And you have no friends with you? No friends. Just some random lady you met? Yeah. That's trippy, dude. It was. So you got on a flight. Is that your intention when you went down there? Or was it to research like all the methods? Like, hey, I've done I've done uh, pharmaceuticals. I've done surgeries. Like, I'm not feeling great. Let me find another way to kind of heal my body. At the time, I was just kind of like on my course where I was exploring things that traditionally I wasn't that into. So I had gotten into some meditation stuff. I was doing some float spa stuff. I was like kind of like t- scratching the surface of spirituality. I had kind of like no spiritual centers, what I like to kind of relate it as. I was um, reading books that were just different than the books that I was reading five years prior. I was interested in different topics. So life just kind of pointed me in this direction. And I was learning all about um, um, ancient civilizations. And if you go into the origins of ancient civilizations, some of their ceremonial practices, you'll learn what humans were doing at early stages. And then if you find out what humans were doing at early stages, you can say, okay, well, what's the science behind that that we know today? And you're like, wow, these people were smart as shit. They knew about vaccines like, thousand years ago like because essentially that's what you were doing when you're taking the frog poison the frog poison is filled with all these peptides they studied it the peptides are like super beneficial for your body they're antiviral anti-inflammatory they're like five times the strength of morphine all kinds of different things and you're basically applying that to your immune system and it's going inside your bloodstream and your body's like basically receiving this medicine in the sense of poison but you're having this crazy immune response because your body ramps up you know the immune response you get a fever all the normal flu-like symptoms and then once they wipe the poison off the immune system settles down and you just basically ingested that medicine you're just like supercharged you feel amazing you just like wow you know so i think it's like a way to train your immune system on how to like prepare for pathogens or to kill off shit that's just kind of hanging around. So they knew this a long time ago, and then science gets its hands on it, right? And a guy who won a Nobel Prize, he's an Italian scientist, I think he studied it, and he did a big report on what's actually in the peptides of this tree frog poison. So I had come across some of this stuff, and I found that fascinating. So I was willing to to give it a try. Because, you know, you can learn something conceptually, but... I like to learn stuff conceptually. Then I like to put it into action. Then I could be like, well, yeah, I learned it. I understand it. And then I physically went through it. So I feel like I have a much better, like, idea of it. I I just kind of do that with everything. Well, you're a practitioner. Like, it's like playing golf. Like, I'd rather learn from Tiger than the guy who sucks. Yeah. Like, I want a dude who actually has golfed. Makes makes sense to me. Yeah. So your, your whole mindset basically changes of like, well... I'm a young kid. All I want is this stuff because that's going to fix everything to now I'm becoming more spiritual. Or were you before that anyway? Or is that I was like- never spiritual, at least what I like to think. I mean, I grew up Italian-American, New York, Roman Catholic. Like, you have to go to Sunday school because, like, why? You know, I just never had no, like, 
strong spiritual like connection in that sense. And then when I started getting into this mind-body connection stuff, I was like, mind-body-spirit, what does that mean? It sounds just like a gimmick, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, wait. Well, like when people say wellness, I want to puke because it just sounds like it's just a, you know, we fucking ruined it. It's, or, you know, and I don't mean that like negatively, but it's how people will say like, well, I'll say mindfulness. We, we use that fucking word for everything. Yeah. I go, but it's, there, that is a real thing. Like if you, if you study like being mindful, like have you ever really ate an orange? I mean, like understand it, like mm. what the skin is, like what the texture tastes like. Yeah. Like that is a, but we overuse the words. So I get what you're saying. It just sounds, it sounds like bullshit. It sounds like bullshit. Yeah. And I was very into like, well, it's a gimmick. But, you know, as I started to do more reflection on my life, I realized, okay, well, I spent a lot of time working on my body because, you know, whether it was the Navy and swimming and running and da-da-da and weightlifting and all that stuff, and I was fucking up my body too. But then I also, like, spent a lot of time on my mind because I was, like, a, going to seminars. I was reading books. I was, like, going to university. I did a lot of things to sharpen my mind and, and get information in. But spiritually, like, what was I doing? I was doing nothing. Zero. It was a big fat zero. Like, I had no spiritual practice, whether it's going to church on Sunday or whether it's meditation or any. Like, I was a zero. So I felt that, like, okay, this is an unexplored area. I should probably put some energy into this. All right. I don't want to just adopt my old religion of Catholicism. So I'm curious what did the Native American people have to say about spirituality? So I started to study North American tribes, Central American tribes, South American tribes. And then I started to follow, like, I started to study global tribes, like tribes of Europe, tribes of Australia, tribes of Africa, and early tribes of Asia. And I started to find that they were actually all doing a lot of the same exact thing. A lot of connections, a lot of symbology that was the same and um, a lot of practices that were same. And the one thing that they were all drawn to was nature. Nature essentially was their spirituality. And um, I just just dove into that full speed ahead and um, learned a lot about natural medicine. Which is crazy because we don't tend to do that in the Western world as much. At least I didn't. Like I grew up Catholic too, but there's we don't talk about nature. It was removed. If you go into the origins and stuff like that and you learn like, okay, well, what was happening when Christianity was kind of like growing in Europe? Like basically anybody who was considered pagan was or nature-based spirituality is really what it is. Native Americans are nature-based spirituality. That's like how you would classify their approach towards God, spirit. Well, Europe had the same exact thing, but the rise of a lot of the a lot of the present day religions, they kind of like crush that with like a iron club. And if you were practicing any of that, you were a witch or you were this. So there's a lot of weird stuff that happened during that time, um, which, you know, whatever life has a lot of weird stuff, but I was just curious about it, especially being an American, you know, like I was like, well, there's so many native Americans, especially Arizona. Like I'm from New York. You said you're from Minnesota. Yeah. In New York, I never see Native American people. Like growing up in New York City, you just don't see them. You just read about them and hear about them. And when I came to Arizona, you kind of feel the energy of their spirit here because if you go up to Flagstaff or 
if you go to Sedona. Oh yeah, it's more in it's you know, it's more connection here, right? Shit, even reservations are like all around Scottsdale. It's, exactly. So I was just like, well, there's all of these people that were here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and that's just history, right? What did they have to say about medicine? What was their perspective on God and spirituality? What did they say about what happens when you die? So I just approached it from a curiosity standpoint, and I found a lot of interesting things. So you go kind of on this journey for, obviously, whether it's spiritual, like relief or physical relief, or it's all obviously connected. We say the same thing here about fitness. Like we teach all the four pillars, like physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. Like it's all fitness. It's all not fitness, but it's it's connected in some way. Do you start to feel better, like after you kind of discover these methods? I mean, are you done dry heaving every day at some point? Yeah, things, yeah, exactly. Things started to dissipate, right? So like the dry heaving started to go away. The pain started to go away. And you're not doing anything different other than just this. I mean, obviously you go on this journey, like you're trying ayahuasca and different things. And I'm sure there's a, your mind is at ease maybe. I mean, is that the biggest thing? Like what, what do you attribute the, the change for? The change is, I think, a combination of things, right? I'm not creating any additional stress on my body because I'm treating myself better, one, and I'm starting to eat better foods. I'm not drowning myself in alcohol, which is probably causing all kinds of inflammation and stuff like that. I am adopting a principle that's like foreign to me, which is self-love. Like, what? what's that? Self-love? I don't know what the hell that is. You know, it's foreign. I'm not being as guarded. I'm like stepping into vulnerability, being more vulnerable, being more open, being kinder to myself, being kinder to other people. So like all of these simple kind of things and lifestyle changes are starting to manifest into, yeah, I'm not as anxious. I'm getting better sleep. I am, you know... um, more more forgiveness i mean i had to make a few phone calls you know over the years and hey dad you know guess what you left when i was six and you know it messed me up and this how it affected me and you know it showed up in a lot of areas of my life and it screwed up a lot of relationships and da, da, da. but guess what i forgive you 100 percent. like you know you're just going through life just like me you know you, you made some choices and some good some bad and you know we're good so don't hold on to that anymore we're good like i love you we're good you know, let's move forward. Um, those things helped me dramatically, not just in the mental stress that I wasn't even aware that I had um, or emotional stress, but also it was like translating into relief of physical stress too. And this is stuff that I was implementing. And then I got into the breath work and the ice baths and the Wim Hof method and that just really amplified everything for me too. That was like a amazing um, new tool to my toolbox because it was something I could apply daily. But it takes a lot of effort to, I mean, for lack of a better term, be like mindful of like what you're doing to fuck yourself up and all the things you have going on. Because there's people who walk around every day, they're not going to do the work you did. Like to, to unpack all that, obviously. And this is me speaking freely, like in the way, and I love America. I think it's the greatest country there is. And we do a lot of stuff right, but we do a lot of dumb shit. Like we work way too much. We're too busy. We're too stressed. It's too fast paced. We're too inundated. Now these phones never turn off and it's constant all the time. So you kind of, 
I guess, either recognized that or stepped away from it or were like, hey, I'm on this path and it's not working. Let me, not like you did a 180, but you made this transformation to eliminate these things that weren't serving you and put these new things into your life. Well, certain people show up into your life when you kind of make room and that's kind of what happened. It's like different people came into my life and like introduced me to new things that I was like not familiar with. Like for example, like I went to a seminar once and I wound up, you know, meeting some interesting people at the seminar and I was kind of new and guarded and it's like, oh, this is weird. All the people in here are weird. Like, you know, not so open-minded about it. And then all of a sudden, like you wind up making like a friendship and then the friendship's like, hey, there's this really cool book that I think you would enjoy. And then you take a stab at it. And the book was Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, or his original book. And it was like, oh, wait, like, I'm like constantly thinking about the future. And that's why like, I'm having so much anxiety because like, I'm like five steps ahead. Like, you know, and I'm creating all this unnecessary anxiety in my life because I'm thinking constantly about the future. I just need to relax and like, just kind of cultivate a practice of learning how to be more present. And I can relieve myself of a lot of anxiety just by changing the way I think or you know, I'm reflecting way too much on the past. Like that situation happened. It happened. It's done. I can't change it. You know, I can make that phone call of forgiveness, but like, I can't change it. So I need to stop spending so much time there. And so I started to really adjust like where I was spending my mental energy. And that was a big game changer for me. So it's, I think just people come into your life and if you're open to it, of course, and then that will send you on different trajectories and different paths. How long did it take you to, I mean, I'm sure it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like fitness, right? I think of it the same way, like how I eat now, it didn't happen overnight. It's this gradual and each year I get a little bit better. I make a couple better choices and, and mostly because I, not even bandy based, like I just don't want to feel like shit. Sure. But for you to, cause a lot of people suffer from this. It's when I get my next car, mm. my next house, when I make my next million, when I get this trip, it's, they're never here. They're always, and sometimes they're, they're in the past and there's people who carry shit with them their whole life, which is crazy. Yeah. But the people who are, it's always the next goal, the next task. Constant. And, I, and I'm terrible at stopping and celebrating because I'm just going to keep going and going and going. But I try to really be, if I'm on this podcast, I'm here. I'm not on a phone call. I'm not on an email. I'm not about what I have to do in two hours. I just want to be here. How long did that take you to kind of get into a real I guess you know a mindful practice of being present well I'm still learning you know I'm not great at it I tend to be more forward as well I forget to celebrate um, the day and celebrate wins just like you well you're an entrepreneur business owner it's kind of it's part of the game but it's if we always set the goals right it's like deflating well, if I get this magazine cover or when I make a million bucks, then I'll be set. Or when I pay my house off, we've done all these things and it's like never ending. Well, fuck what's next. I know never ending. So yeah, I'm still learning that lesson for sure. Um, I am trying to be more disciplined in certain areas of my life. Uh, discipline is kind of like a big mantra in my life these days. And something that I adopted when I was in the military is extremely disciplined and that like set me up for success to do my job really well. And I excelled. And then I got out of the military and my discipline went to zero. You know, well, it, there was some discipline there, but like it just wasn't a mantra in my life. And now it's back in my life. So what I like to tell my students and, you know, I teach a lot of workshops around the country in Mexico. You know, discipline is the key to happiness. 
and that when you say what you're going to do and you follow through, like you just feel good. And so I'm always looking for areas in my life where I'm lacking some discipline and then putting some energy into that. Some things are really easy for me to be disciplined in, you know, because I like doing them. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just continue doing them. But there's areas in my life where I lack discipline and there's a reason for that. So what I do is just, you know, every couple of weeks I try to evaluate, oh, man, where where am I dropping off a little bit and then put some energy into that. And, And typically it's the spiritual stuff for me. I'm like, not putting any energy into spiritual stuff. I'm just like in business mode and the, you know, work, work, work mode, work out this, that, you know, I need to like take some time to like go out and be with myself or be with me, you know, do meditation or adopt a challenge of where I'm going to fast and then do some meditating and breathing exercises or take a class where I'm going to go and go a little bit deeper and take a peek on what's going on inside from a different perspective. So I'm just always kind of trying to adopt like areas where I'm lacking a little bit of discipline in my life. And that's how I keep myself balanced without being too neurotic or being too hard on myself. Because that's the other thing I can be really hard on myself and I don't want to get back into that game where it's like, I'm constantly kicking myself in the ass for not doing this, this or that, or trying to be a perfectionist. So yeah, it's, um, I'm kind of a student of life. I don't know if it'll ever go away. Well, I know. I think we're all, hopefully, well, my wife is a perfectionist too, so hopefully she listens to this um, and she can hear it because it's just always drilling down. And she likes to live in the future, always. Um, <laughs> I'm crushing her right now. Uh, she's getting way better, but it's I a like thing. to as well. I don't have the, in the future stuff I do get, the perfectionist stuff I don't give a fuck. I'm like, whatever people think. What I'm like more of a ready you know, fire, I'll aim later, and I'll just kind of deal with the pieces. But most people get so stuck in it, I guess. I guess I don't have ego in that regard. I was going to ask you too, just on the, in terms of like the journey itself, like did you, do you find like some of these experiences, like you let your ego go? Or maybe that's just part of getting older where, you know, like I'll say like if you're, you know, if you guys smoke weed or you do any kind of drugs, sometimes that there's a paranoia that comes with it where, you start to question the things you're doing. Like, why am I saying the things I'm saying? Why am I doing the stuff I'm doing? And there's a lot of ego involved in that. It can work in your benefit, but it also can, it can hold you back in a lot of ways. Do you find that too? Yes. You know, um, the ego was really strong for, for me. It was, um, something really strong and I'm still like learning about the ego. You know, like if you read a lot of new age kind of material, it's going to tell you to completely disengage from the ego and, I'm still not sure where where I stand with that. Um, But ultimately, I did a lot of inner work where I had to kind of see the shitty side of myself. Um, And I just got humbled a lot. And I think when you get humbled, um, it really helps with the ego. It really helped me personally with the ego by humbling myself through the ayahuasca and having to see my behavior because ayahuasca will show you it'll literally show you like how you're affecting other people because sometimes we go through life with blinders and we're just like thinking that we're good and the way we're behaving is good and you don't realize like we're shutting people out or how we're not like really like um empathetic to uh, people around us our family our mothers our fathers our sisters our brothers Uh, you know we there's just so many things we, we we can do and and not pay attention to how we're affecting people around us and 
she has a very interesting way of showing us like how our way of being is impacting others around us. And so I got humbled a lot and um, that really helped me to just stop and smell the roses, be kinder, but not just be kind to other people, like really learn how to be kind to myself. It's easy for me to be kind to other people, but learning how to be kind to myself has been like a, probably one of my biggest challenges. Cause you're like a people pleaser naturally. Not that I just like kindness is like, is something easily that I was able to, to adopt that pretty quickly. I'm just like, Oh, you know, whatever, open up the door for someone, not to please them just because it's the right thing to do. It's kind of like a... You have manners. You have manners. I was yeah. raised a little bit old school, you know, in that way. So it was easy for me to adopt, but um, being kind to myself was a little bit harder, you know, having all these expectations of where I should be or what I should have accomplished at this point or... Oh, uh, dude, I hear people say it all the time. Those like, types of things. Oh, by 30, I'll do this. But yeah. I go, when has that shit ever worked out? Like, yeah, but people hold themselves to this unrealistic standard or my parents did this, not knowing like when my dad is my age, he's like a fucking hundred. And I don't mean that negatively, but when my dad's 38, he's like 68, you know, technology's aged us down. He's had a bunch of kids, whatever. I'm still filming videos, you know, half naked and, you know, with rap music in the background. So like, it's just not the same. Yeah. Yet if we hold, well, if my sister did it at this time, or I should be at this point in my career. It's just weird that we do that. I don't know where that comes from. And people have a hard time letting that go. But you're able to, or at least you're at yeah. this point. Yeah, doing much better. That's for sure. So do you have like a like a daily meditation practice or do you have like a one that you kind of integrate into your training or recovery or? Self-care is just kind of something that I implement into my recovery. So Optimize has been the place for me to do that. And that's essentially why we created this place was um, we put together um, a variety of different things that we know works. And, you know, the hustle and bustle of everyday life could obviously um, get the best of you, right? You can get lost in your work, spend too much time on the computer, you know, all those types of things, Um, not feel balanced and grounded. So for me, my self-care routine is, you know, waking up and having a morning routine, doing certain things, but ultimately making time for me to get in my therapies and the therapies that I like to practice is breath work. So I do breath work every day. I do an ice bath, ice bath, either five to seven days, uh, you know, a week I do. So I pretty much do it daily, a few rounds. I do a combination of hot and cold therapy. Um, I do compression therapy. I do the red light therapy. I do a meditation or breathing exercise or breathing exercise with a biocharger. So I've basically implemented that into my everyday life. So I'll go do that stuff. I'll spend an hour there and then I'll go to the gym and go work out or I'll go do that and then go to optimize. So either way, I'm just like plugging that in so that I'm disconnecting from my phone, taking a break, giving myself time to contemplate, to think, to be, um, and implementing all those things into my everyday life so that I can show up better, have more energy, be more clear, be more present, all of those things that I tend to get away from if I'm not actively um, practicing that. And how do you feel now, like all this time later, in terms of the spine stuff, the pain, ailments and things? Are you pretty much on a good track now? Yeah, I'm pain-free. I never needed a second surgery. 
So I'm pain-free, never needed a second surgery. I don't take any pharmaceuticals. You couldn't even give me an aspirin. Like, I just don't no take shit. it. Yeah, I don't take any pharmaceuticals. No drugs anymore. No drugs, nothing. No. I don't smoke weed. I barely drink alcohol, maybe a few times a year. Yeah. Um, so I'm pretty clean in that sense. Um, I don't have anything against pharmaceuticals. I just don't need it. If I needed it, I would take it. But ultimately, I've found a way to find a natural solution that's going to give me the same response. You know, if I have an inflammation problems, I go do breath work and do go do an ice bath. And that's going to be a much more potent anti-inflammatory than taking a pill. I know that. I've done the research. I have the science. I understand that. Um, so those things are all, um, you know, accessible to me because I understand the knowledge, not just having access to it. Like I understand how that stuff works. Um, but yeah, from a, from a pain perspective, yeah, I don't, I don't have any issues. Now, what I do have is I have some mobility issues because, you know, with a neck surgery like that, and I didn't do the work I needed to do after that, a lot of muscles kind of compensated for the neck injury. So right now I'm dealing with like nerve damage in my arms and my hands. So I'm working on a lot of that nerve damage. From the surgery. Yeah, because the neck controls most of the nerves, as you know, in the arms and the hands. So I lost a lot of strength, atrophy, especially my forearms, different things like that. So I'm working on that kind of stuff. I'm doing some uh, functional patterns type stuff, um, um, kind of reworking some uh, mobility issues. But pain, yeah, pretty much pain-free. And how is your um, nutrition? Obviously, you don't, no drugs, don't really drink booze. What do you, uh, what do you eat like? So I'm really into immune boosting. So like I believe that the immune system is like the key core element of our body, and it's so important. And I know it's kind of like a buzzword now because everybody's just like, oh, take this pill. It'll boost your immune system. You know, it's just kind of like a gimmick. I wouldn't say it's a gimmick. I mean, it's a good idea. People are at least aware of their immune system. So I'm very interested in a healthy gut microbiome. That's important to me. That's a buzzword these days, too. Yeah. 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 Um, So what I do is I do a lot of fasting now, which is um, I feel like a, a good way to kind of reset my body. Um, I eat mostly, I'm not a hundred percent keto by any means. Um, I, I like carbs, I eat carbs, but I would say I eat more kind of paleo, more meat and fat and, you know, I'll eat salad and stuff like that. I just don't, I'm not heavy on the carbs. Like I used to eat a ton of carbs, but I just don't know if I was burning it enough. I was just kind of gaining a lot of weight the unnecessary weight yeah so and so what do you when is your eating window usually well i fast almost every day for 16 hours um and then i typically have like a decent lunch and then a big dinner yeah That's and just meat vegetables or just meat fats you meat and vegetables like, yeah. yes, like yesterday what'd you eat um last night i had um like a beef soup beef soup with carrots I like soups. I make a lot of things in the, I make a lot of um, Instapot soups and chicken soups and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I had a giant bowl of salad and an avocado. Nice, dude. Yeah. So that was like dinner. And uh, any supplements outside of that you take? Yeah. I'm taking this, um, I'm taking vitamin D supplements. Um, I take vitamin D supplements at nighttime before I go to bed. 
I take um, shilajit. Are you familiar with shilajit? Shilajit's an interesting uh, mineral that comes from the Himalayan mountains, and it's um, in the cracks of the Himalayas, and the native people of that region that come from the Himalayas, they used it as a fertility and uh, vitality kind of supplement. It's part, part of Ayurvedic medicine, and um, it's like a tar, and literally it looks just like black tar but it's loaded with minerals. And if you Google it, and there's a lot of really good research on it improves testosterone naturally and sperm count and all that stuff. How do you spell it? uh, Shilajit, S-H-I-L-A-J-I-T. And we sell it to it, optimized. So, you know, I usually research stuff. It it sounds made up. Sounds like some made up shit. It's old. (laughs) Yeah, super old. And um, I like it because it's loaded with minerals. Do you eat it? I personally, you could put it underneath your tongue, but it tastes pretty bad. So I honestly take it and I put it in uh, green tea and I drink it in green tea. And it just kind of like makes the tea a little bit earthier tasting, but it tastes good. You're really selling it here. Yeah, I like it. It's one of my favorite supplements. Earthier tasting. Yeah, it's like an earthy taste. I can't explain it. When you try it, you'll you'll realize what that makes sense. But And you swear by it, huh? Yeah, because, you know, not only have I noticed, like, good changes in it, because, you know, there's so many supplements, it's hard to figure out, like, what actually works. Most are bullshit, yeah. You know? Um, But I like it because it's old, and it's kind of stood the test of time, and there's good science on it, too. So, like, you could go into, the like, actual research, and it's like, oh, wow, they showed, it was, they they had to prove that it actually works. I like it. So, I use that on a daily basis. How did you find out about it? Actually, a naturopathic doctor that was coming to uh, optimize. We have a lot of doctors that go there, which is really cool. I never knew that would happen with optimize, but uh, she was just a member. And um, we were talking about natural ways to boost testosterone. And I had shared my story with the red light therapy and how my um, testosterone increased 200 points from using red light therapy. She says, Are you, have you ever heard of Shilajan? I said, no. She goes, well, I think you'd want to explore that. So I went home. I went to Google Scholar. And sure enough, I found like some interesting studies and uh, bought some right away. And then I liked the product. I found that at Sedona. There was a company at Sedona, and we started basically selling it at our stores. Oh, that's where you get it, in Sedona? Yeah, there's a company called um, Legit, L, yeah, L-A, uh, yeah, L-A-J-I-T. I'll send it to you, but... Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. So Interesting. And if it really were, and the crazy thing too, you mentioned that earlier before recording that the red light therapy had raised your testosterone that much, which is a huge jump. 200 points for, well, for a dude, it's a ton. So if you're a normal dude and let's say you're in your forties, what it's supposed to be like 500, 600, something like that. So if you're at four and it goes to six, it's a huge increase without doing therapeutics. What do I mean? Like actually HRT or something like that. Exactly. And you know, I explored that prior. And, and I mean, the reality is as you get into the, the world of health and wellness and science and aging and longevity, I mean, it all comes down to mitochondrial function. You know, what's the difference between someone who's young and healthy and somebody who's older? It's like the mitochondria are functioning at different levels. And you can't necessarily reverse aging, but you can slow it down and you can help your cells to produce more energy naturally. And that process of, um, you know, um, respiration, you know, cellular respiration, when it's converting oxygen and converting nutrients into ATP, if you can improve that cycle through different techniques and methods, then you're increasing the output of the cells. And if the cells have more energy, then they do their job better. So ultimately, most of the things that we introduce at Optimize is how to get the cells to do their job better. 
and in conjunction with good exercise and good nutrition and you know we promote a lot of fasting nothing like super extended um you can really um get the body in a in a good position to you know be vital again you know ultimately that's what i'm searching for personally is to maintain my vitality through my later years in life i'm 43 right now so light therapy is just one way because if you think about it it all goes back to all of my history and studying that i did with tribes so yeah we get all this cool technology and red light therapy and biocharger but all they're i mean they're all really cool i love them all you know shout out to all the, the manufacturers of these products but what do they all have in common they're all mimicking nature that's it the light therapy is a very specific frequency that comes from the sun and the near infrared is a very specific frequency that comes from the sun and if you ever look at the sun when it's coming up it looks amber and when it's going down at night it looks amber that's because it's pumping out a lot of red light energy but how often are you and i outside nude when the sun's coming up or when the sun's going down like never never exactly and our ancestors were they were always outside constantly outside and they were always grounded they didn't wear rubber sneakers rubber sneakers didn't get introduced to our society until 1960s along with carpets and when we started wearing rubber sneakers and, and started putting carpets in our home we started to really disconnect ourselves from the planet from the earth and the lightning is happening somewhere in the earth right now and it's always happening and the earth's always getting lightning strikes and the earth builds up all this energy and we're supposed to be taking in that energy um, through our feet and we don't do that anymore because we wear rubber sneakers we live in box houses we drive in box cars and our cells need voltage and ultimately a lot of the devices and technology that's out there that now that's growing we're going to see more of this in our future this is the future of medicine is um is voltage and energy and, get, and finding unique ways to improve cellular respiration improve mitochondrial function and improve circulation because circulation is a big problem. We have 100,000 miles of circulatory system in our body and we have uh, lots of plumbing issues. And if we can improve that through natural techniques instead of having to use medicine all the time, pills, you know, pills to dilate, pills to constrict, you don't need to. Just get in some cold water. Do a breathing exercise. So I got into Wim Hof method and I learned a lot about what I liked about Wim's message, which was so powerful, is that we have so much influence over our system um, by changing the ratio of gases through the breathing exercise that he teaches or getting into cold water and basically giving our body like a huge dose of stress and how that trains our body and how we you know train and adapt and react to stress in a much better way if we give ourselves a dose of stress every day just like you're always exercising and promoting physical fitness you're promoting basically giving yourself a daily dose of stress and people can respond and react to stress so much better for people who are listening who don't know uh who wim hoff is and the craziness that goes with it just quick a quick breakdown of, of why you got into that or like why you kind of bought into it or i guess or the the theory or the the kind of science behind it whether it's the the cold and the breathing because i remember we did a we work with a ice barrel which is you know the cheap version of, of what you guys do essentially i can do it at my house which it's fucking miserable because i don't like being cold so i live in arizona but i remember i did a post about it 
just shared it, kind of go in. I usually do uh, like three to five minutes. I'll pop out, come in and out. Obviously, when it's warmer here, it's better. And the amount of people just talking shit uh, in the comments about like, this is bullshit, this doesn't work, this is nonsense. And they're fighting with each other, not me. I don't live in the comments. But, but some people, you just can't. It's the internet. It's undefeated. You can't win. But these guys are going back and forth where saying, hey, you know, cold therapy is amazing. It's helped me. And this person saying it's complete nonsense. I get the same thing when I share foam rolling. SMR is great. It works. It's actually complete horseshit. You don't have to do it, blah, blah, blah. So how you, I guess, came about it or like the, the Wim Hof method itself and like and how you kind of adopted it into, into Optimize. So the first thing um, I came across was a documentary. It was a Vice documentary, and it's all about Wim being this kind of superhuman uh, uh, figure, and that was interesting and intriguing. So I watched the documentary. He's crazy. I, yeah, I shared it with a bunch of people. Um, I thought it was interesting. And then um, a friend of mine said, hey, we should start doing it. So we started doing it. And mainly what we did is we just learned how to do the breathing exercise. And we weren't quite doing it right, but we were just like doing our best. And then we started taking ice baths. And I felt an immediate change and shift in my state of being. And when I say the word state of being, just like going from like maybe a busy mind and not feeling so grounded to like, there was a significant change in, in how I feel like immediately. And I've tried a lot of different things over the years. I've tried everything, you know, just all the rabbit holes I've gone on. Some stuff worked really well and stuff to, not so much. So what I liked about it, it was that it was relatively inexpensive. It pretty much cost nothing except for the cost of ice, pretty much free. And then it had a significant shift. So I heard that Wim Hof was actually coming to speak in the United States. I went out to go see him. And I drove to L.A. to uh, go to one of his seminars where he was the main speaker. And there was all these other scientists that were there. And they all talked about the science of the Wim Hof method. And they talked about the immune system. And they flew in these immunologists from, uh, from Europe. And it was just kind of a cool, fascinating conversation. So I was getting into the science of it at the time. And I was also intrigued by him and his story. And I was drawn to his story. And, you know, he had done a bunch of superhuman stuff where he had hiked Mount Everest in his shorts, which is obviously really hard to do. Uh, it's just, just to hike Everest in general. Exactly. With oxygen is hard. Like, we just did Angel's Landing in Utah. And I'm like, what the fuck? We did the Grand Canyon, too, rim to rim to rim. Almost. So I'm like, I was ready to die. Yeah. And it was like 70 degrees. Yeah. He's a beast. Like it's nuts. His, his mindset is like unreal. Like, unreal. Like, you know, he's not ripped and stuff like that, but his mindset is so strong, he pushed through anything. And, um, yeah, so he did Mount Everest in his shorts. He swam under the polar ice caps. He's held his breath for under six minutes in uh, ice-cold water. He did two hours of uh, in ice up to his neck um, for the world record. He had 26 Guinness records. Like He's got a lot of accomplishments. But what I like about his story is you know, he's shown the world what the body's capable of doing. But he also showed that we can teach this method and get people to show similar results. So the science of the Wim Hof method is relatively simple, okay? You're basically using a breathing exercise to change the gas ratio in the body. When you do that, a lot of things are happening. When you change gases in the body, the body changes dramatically because everything is managing pH. pH is really important in the body, in the blood. Our body's always trying to maintain a certain pH. So when you do a breathing exercise like the Wim Hof method, what's happening is you're actually creating stress. 
the breathing exercise creates stress. You're actually creating stress on purpose. And by creating stress, your body starts to release adrenaline. And when your body starts to uh, release this type of adrenaline, it starts to suppress the inflammatory cytokines, the IL-6, the TNF-alpha, all the stuff that's super problematic in today's culture, all the inflammation diseases that we have, and all the inflammation problems. So you have a natural way to decrease inflammation in the body at will just by doing a very short breathing exercise. But not only are you able to influence the, the gases and inflammation in the body, you're able to actually have impact on your brainwave states. And when you start getting into the world of understanding brainwaves, well, brainwaves are causing all our stress in today's society. And people are stuck in this like constant state of like fight or flight. They can't get into the, the lower brainwave states. So the Wim Hof Method helps to teach you how to influence your autonomic nervous system. So if you have access to your autonomic nervous system, you can ramp up and go into the sympathetic, which is the fight or flight, or you can dial it down into the more parasympathetic. So if you can have influence over your nervous system, that means you have influence over your heart rate, you have influence over your endocrine system, and you have influence over essentially your brainwave states, which is really affect the way you feel. So um, it's a super powerful method of being able to do things naturally. And then the ice bath is kind of separate to that because just by getting in an ice bath and getting in all the way to your neck, your body automatically goes into fight or flight because it's smart. It knows, holy shit, this is freezing water. This is dangerous. If you stay in here for a long time, you, this is dangerous. So it's smart. So it's going to start going into the fight or flight mode. The nervous system goes more sympathetic. Your body starts to produce something called norepinephrine, which is a fight-or-flight hormone. Norepinephrine takes inflammation way, 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 way down. So it suppresses the pro-inflammatory cytokines. And basically, you have this tool that's at your fingertips that you can practice that have a big impact on stress because you're training your body how to react and adapt to stress. You're giving yourself a dose of stress, which is giving you a big dose of adrenaline, which is also suppressing inflammation, which is basically this fire inside your body that's super problematic and the root cause of all disease. So um, it's just one very effective tool. So the science is solid. It really can't be undisputed because um, there's, just, there's been a lot of science that... Um, that's been done on the method or in ice baths. Uberman Labs is another interesting guy, if you're familiar with him. Oh, Andrew? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, he talks a lot about the benefits and science of cold. So people who are, um, you know, just not 100% uh, sure that it actually works, I mean, just follow some of the science or scientists. Um, I also like um, a podcast uh, called Find, Find My Fitness. And... Um, she, uh, she's a scientist as well. She does a really good job. Dr. Rhonda Patrick, she's been on Joe Rogan a few times, like five or six times actually, um, which talks a lot about the science of the cold. So in a nutshell, that's a big thing of what's happening inside the body when you do uh, the Wim Hof method. But there's also stuff that's not spoken about that science doesn't really understand. And these are the euphoric states that people get into. In every single workshop that I teach in my class, there is somebody that 
has a kind of a, a huge release in every class. So Wim likes to say we have issues in our tissues and these kind of trauma or things kind of hang out in our body and they get stuck there. And for some reason, breathing exercise is a way of like kind of bringing them to the circuit surface. So for someone listening, like how, how do they get into the breathing protocols? Like how complicated is it? Someone's like, Hey, I want to do this. Like, how can I learn? How do I implement it in my life? Is it going to take an hour of my day? How complex is this really? Super effective. It's like 15 minute process. Well, personally, I'm a Wim Hof method instructor. So when I drove back from Wim's event, I decided to take his course. It's a year-long course, and I went... Oh, no shit. Yeah, it's a year-long course. I went through the course. I trained with Wim. I stayed with Wim. We did our training at Mount Hood, Oregon. We hiked to the top of Mount Hood with our shorts and no shirt in the wintertime, and I did all that stuff. It was awesome. What? Yep. I met fascinating people from all over the world who are also Wim Hof instructors. There was Navy SEALs in my class. There was pilots in my class. There was doctors in my class. There were scientists in my class. There were yogis in my class. There was such an interesting group of humans that were attracted. I met so many great people, and that was probably the most fantastic part of it. My business partner and I met through Wim Hof Method because he was uh, becoming a Wim Hof Method instructor as well, and his background was martial arts. He did it Uh, with no clothes on. Just shorts. Mount Hood's nuts, bro. Mount Hood's nuts. My wife's from Washington State. Yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah. familiar. Yeah, Mount Hood's, yeah, it was a long hike. I mean, we started like four in the morning and it took us a while to get to the top and, you know, just the hike alone, but it was cold, you know, but it was cool. It was a nice challenge. It was awesome. And Wim's so inspirational. So he's like leading the pack of people. So it was just kind of, he's so inspirational. Um, but I love his, his, his mantra is, you know, his his mantra is, you know, healthy, happy, and strong. And that's essentially what he's, you know, putting out into the universe. So it's like, oh, man, I could get behind that. So I teach the Wim Hof Method. It's a five-hour workshop here in Phoenix and Scottsdale. And I've been invited to teach throughout Mexico. I've taught in at least five or six different cities now in Mexico, which has been really cool. And um, ultimately, I would recommend people go to a workshop because there's an instructor in every state. And you can find it on the Wim Hof Method website. And you can find a class, and that will give you the complete understanding of how to do the breathing exercise right, guidance on the, the, the ice bath portion, but also understand the anatomy and physiology of all of how it works. But uh, the Wim Hof website also, there's an app, so you can actually use the app to go through the protocol. But the breathing exercise is as simple as 15 minutes. It's a great daily tool. It's a great way to kind of center your mind. It's a great way to decrease inflammation naturally. It's a great tool to add to your like daily implementation of like, you know, self-love, self-work, you know, just kind of like something for you. You could do it in groups. Um, if you don't have ice baths or optimized nearby, of course, you have cold showers. And cold showers will have a similar effect because it's stress on the body. So there's just a lot of tools that are there in nature that don't cost a lot of money that um, can really can really like turn the needle in the right direction like pretty pretty effectively. And you do uh, the workshops like at Optimize? Actually, I teach at local studios, so um, I get hired to uh, do them privately, and then I do public ones every month where. Um, I'll like rent out a studio or somebody will host me and then I'll just bring people from the surrounding neighborhood. So I've been teaching out of a place in North Scottsdale cause it's a big room. I usually have 25 to 30 people 
And then um, next, in two weeks, I'll be teaching down at a yoga studio in Tucson called Session Yoga. And um, and then I've gotten invited to uh, do some tours. I just got back from Ecuador. I taught Wim Hof Method in Ecuador to about 50 people down there. There were a variety of people in the health and wellness sector, but uh, also some diet, um, some scientists, some doctors who are all interested in uh, natural approaches for like health and wellness. And if we're talking the like the cold plunge or the ice baths, like how for an, a novice person who's never done it before, uh, how cold, how long, what do you suggest for someone who's like just starting? Yeah, anytime you get below 50, you're getting an effect, um, you know, because 50 degrees and below is cold. I train people with 32 degrees. At Optimize, we have 36 degrees and 42 degrees, and the water is moving, so it just feels nastier. But mainly what you learn from doing the ice bath is you learn how to let go real time. So the cold is a teacher. Wim always says that. The cold is my teacher. The cold is my teacher. Well, what does that mean? It's like kind of a cool metaphor, you know? But actually it's a teacher because what it does is when you get into the cold water, your body goes into fight or flight. Natural reaction. It's just science, Okay. Do you want to stay in fight or flight for two minutes? No, it's miserable. You can if you'd like. If you don't want to surrender, you don't want to let go, well, you'll suffer. You can suffer for two minutes. If you just stay in that tense kind of watching the clock, how do I fight it out? Or you can learn how to let go. So personally, I meditate in the cold water. And that's what I teach. My methodology is I teach you how to meditate. So basically, you get into cold water. You get in, you get under. You close your eyes because that automatically brings your brain waves down, helps your brain waves to get out of the beta brain waves more into alpha brain waves. And what I do is I ha- teach you how to slow your breathing down. As you know, when you lower your respiratory rate, you lower your heart rate. So as you lower your respiratory rate, you start to lower your heart rate. I could get my, I have this whoop here, which is this cool little tracking device. I could get my heart rate down to 49 beats per minute in an ice bath. So my whole body is in this weird kind of maximum conserve, almost like I'm sleeping. Yeah. You know, sleeping mode. My body's producing all this adrenaline, which is like taking all the inflammation down. My circulation is moving all kinds of blood because it's pulling blood from the extremities. And then when I get out, I use some gentle kind of movement, almost like a Tai Chi or slight movement. Sometimes I do some push-ups. And then all that blood is going back to my extremities. So I'm pretty much just moving blood back and forth, back and forth. And it's just a good way of like improving cardiovascular function, improving circulation, decreasing inflammation, increasing white blood cell count, um, but also the thermogenesis that happens. So they always hear this like marketing language, right? Um, Lose weight through cold water therapy or cryotherapy. Well, there's some science to support that. It's actually good science to support that because as you start to adopt, adapt your body to cold, um, and we work with a lot of weight loss people too at Optimize. We have people in there for many different goals, but some people are just um, doing physical fitness, dieting, and then using the, the treatments to help lose weight because your body starts to produce more energy um, to try to warm up. So you're chewing up glucose but you're also um, utilizing something that we have. It's called brown fat. And brown fat is basically fat with a ton of mitochondria. So it's metabolically more active. And what happens is, is the brown fat activates when it's cold. 
And what it does is it takes visceral fat and it turns it into heat. So you can actually like decrease visceral fat by making your body cold. And um, it's just a really cool adaptation because it makes sense. Just think like if you were living in Siberia, your body's smart. It's like it's freezing out here. Um, we need to brown more fat because um, we need to find more effective and efficient ways of keeping your body warm rather than shivering all the time. Otherwise, you'd be walking around shivering everywhere you go. So it's an adaptation of the body. But if you're never exposing yourself to cold because you live in a cold-adapted climate, your body's like, well, why do I need a brown fat? Like, There's no reason for it. So as you start to take cold showers, put yourself in cold water on a, you know often basis, your body will say, oh, um, Michael's about to go do this cold stuff again. It starts to ramp up the growth of brown fat. So babies are born with tons of brown fat. And, of course, if they live in cold environment, they'll maintain that. But as we get older in cold-adapted climates, um, we, we decrease our brown fat. But you can grow more. So if someone's listening, like how long are they committing to doing this? Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? Oh, two minutes is what we teach, yeah. I think a two-minute ice bath is a, um, is a great dose of stress. Two, great. It's a dose. That you're giving yourself a dose of stress, and that's the key. For two minutes, you're going to go through the practice of breathing, closing your eyes, letting go, all that. Um, and you're releasing a good amount of norepinephrine in that two minutes. Is that like probably one of the most popular things you guys do? Is the uh, the cold, or what's the most popular stuff you guys offer? Well, it attracts different people, you know, because I get the anti-aging people, right? They just want to look good. So they like want the red light therapy, you know, they're like, you know, give me some of that. But that's easy. You just stand in front of these panels, you know? It's, com it's comfortable. It's comfortable, exactly. And then Fred Sauna. It's kind of comfortable, but then 10 minutes, 15 minutes into it becomes uncomfortable. So mainly what we, we train people is, Optimize is all about training people for stress. Hey, we will train you on how to react and adapt to stress by giving you a daily dose of stress. And this process is called hormesis. And that's kind of the main driver of what we do at Optimize is giving people a dose of stress, helping them to change their mind, not to seek comfort, to use stress in a good way, to see stress in a good way, because stress isn't going anywhere. And um, how we react and adapt to stress really makes all the difference. So stress is the big issue in our society. We notice that. We notice that most people are turning to towards pharmaceuticals and alcohol and drugs to, to try to relieve themselves of the stress. And we want to say, hey, there is a better way, a healthier way, um, a non-invasive way, and not only is this a way, but it's a way that's been around for thousands of years because every culture that you explore, I don't care if it's European culture, African culture, South American culture, the North American, Native American cultures, you will find somewhere in their history they were doing sweat lodge, temescal, heat stress, cold stress, contrast therapies the romans were using it so these things are very 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 old and um, certain cultures use it as their daily practice uh, russians koreans um, turkish spas um, very common in their culture as well and we're starting to more now americans are just getting to it yeah we're just like oh shit you know we're we're, we're like we need everything to be backed in science in order for us to adopt it and, you know we have that 
weird thing, you know? Well, follow, follow the science. Yeah. I believe fo- I heard that. Follow the science, you know? Oh, wait, the science says okay. It's okay to do it. Like, no, actually, it's been going on for thousands of years. Science is just figuring out now, you know? So, like, people get really caught up in that. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's getting more common here in the United States. There's reasons for that. I mean, the Internet, of course, influencers, of course, but Wim Hof is like, boom, he's kind of like brought it to the masses and he's has a big message, you know? He's reached a lot of people. Well, and I think, too, for people, it's it's harder because it's a daily practice and it's something you're doing, whether it's every single day or you're making it part of your routine and it takes 15 minutes and it takes you actually doing something where if you're doing pharmaceuticals, it's an easy fix. You pop a pill, it's two seconds and, but we're not fixing anything. We're just masking a problem and essentially either kicking the can down the road to deal with it or just you're a, you're a lifetime member of the pharmaceutical companies in. You're, you're a customer until you die. You're always a customer. Yeah. Nature is, if you want to heal from nature, if you want to work with natural stuff, nature, basically you got to go to a process of like discomfort. That's kind of what I've learned with all of the different medicines I've tried from the frog poison to the breathing exercises, to the cold therapies, to the heat therapies, to, you know, the ayahuasca, they all have one thing in common. You have to experience some discomfort and you have to be involved in your own healing process where the mentality many of us have in America is like, hey, doc, can you give me something to fix me? So I'm going to take this pill. I'm not going to feel a damn thing. And I'm just going to hope that inside it's working it's working the problems out. But I can still maintain my shitty habits, my shitty self-talk, my you know, laziness or whatever, you know, things that kind of keep us from um, being healthy, happy, and strong. But with nature, nope, you got to go through the process. Guess what? You could do this breathing exercise. Well, guess what? Shit might come up that you don't want to deal with. Too bad. You got to deal with it. You know, you want to do this ice bath? You want to surrender? Okay, you suffer. You want to surrender? You find peace. Like, so you're just like, it's you're involved in your own healing. And that's what I love about it. Well, it's crazy because the whole system is set up not to benefit the like the natural paths or the natural way of you know kind of healing your body where insurance companies don't they're not down with that they're not down with that you can't go to a natural path like they don't fucking pay for it they won't pay for it but if i want to go to any hospital system here whatever my copay is 15 bucks and boom i'm good to go and i can get on any drugs i can probably get on adderall or, or god knows what within the next two hours and i can have it for life where if I want to try something like this, they're not down for it. I got to pay out of my own pocket, which is really strange. I don't know if we'll ever get to a place where they'll start funding those things. Hopefully, probably not in my lifetime. There's you know, just too much money. There's and- a big shift happening though, and they're having a hard time with it because you know, like YouTube and right and um, social media. There's and all these wonderful scientists like Rhonda Patrick and Uberman and all these oh, yeah. people who are. Hey guys, this is solid science. They're putting it out there. This isn't, um, you know, hocus pocus, right? So they're having a hard time. Like, like they don't know what to do with all that. Um, the message is out there. People know. People are practicing it. I don't know what's going to happen next, but you know, that's going to take more people away from the pain pills and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how they're going to leverage all that. But it's an interesting movement that's happening, and it's kind of it's really fun to be part of. Well, yeah, because like what you guys do at Optimize, like 
in shit that didn't exist 20 years ago. There wasn't an Optimize. Like no. you couldn't find one. You couldn't find one. No, even 10 years ago? No. It's crazy. Yeah. And now there's people all kind of offering these, I don't want to call them alternative services, but different ways to heal the body, have it recover, and just move better, feel better, and then obviously like the byproduct is you look better. And that's essentially what you guys do across the board, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so who who is optimized for, if we're to answer that question? Like anybody, everybody? Well, you know, when we built Optimize, you know, you kind of like, if you build it, they will come. It's kind of, you build it and then you're like, okay, well, like, like who's going to come, right? And that's where we were four years ago. Now I was teaching Wim Hof method and I was seeing all different people show up to my workshops, right? So they were like, kind of like a, I don't know, an ideal candidate, I guess you could say, right? Like your demographic. The yeah. demographic, right? And I was signing all kinds of people in my workshops. I was finding athletes that were showing up to my workshops and they were like, oh, I want to improve my performance. How do I up my game, right? So you had those folks. So they wanted to adopt the Wim Hof method to up their game improve their performance i had i had olympic wrestlers i was training um gold medal swimmers i was training like really high level per performers you know in f sports and football and baseball it was kind of cool to just see them showing up at my workshop you know because they they saw the promotion or something or were referred then i had the everyday joes right where they're like they're just like working their ass off all the time and they're busy, busy, busy. And they're, you know, have a wife and kids and all that. And they're stressed and they feel like shit, you know, and they're anxious and they're like all these kind of stress related obstacles. So they were looking for some relief. And so they would show up. And then I had these people that were coming to the classes that they had cancer. They were like, they're sick. They have autoimmune diseases. They have cancer, and they've explored all of these other options, and they still have the cancer. And they're like, you know, I'm taking matters into my own hands, and I want to try something different. So they were attracted towards the method. So we have everybody, you know. I mean, I hate to say, yeah, we're for everybody, we're everybody, you know. There's certain people that shouldn't do ice baths, right? There's, like, people who have, like, serious heart conditions, um, and there's people who shouldn't do the breath work who are epileptic, but ultimately, um, we have a service for everybody really. You know, I have a guy that just came in, he was 500 pounds Whoa. and he lost 300 pounds. That's crazy. Yeah. And he's coming into, um, optimize every day now and he's on his weight loss journey and he's trying to tighten his skin. He's using cold water therapy and red light therapy for that. Um, you know, I have the athletes uh, coming in. I have American Ninja Warrior. He won the six-time champion. He comes in. So, you know, he's like a high-level athlete, obviously. Um, you know, and I have just really mainly everyday people who just want to feel better and don't want to be, you know, drinking to feel better or don't want to be taking some sort of um, psychological medication to feel better. So... Yeah, I would say we have a really a wide range of people that um, can benefit. And it's kind of like just it's a, a membership base is probably like what most people do. Yeah, so basically get access to the facility. So you become a member and um, your membership gives you X amount of visits depending on the membership. And that means you get a one full hour session of multiple therapies all in one session. So what's typical for somebody is they'll come in, 
They'll start off with compression therapy. You're familiar with Normatec. We have that. You can use the arms, legs, or hips, so it's up to you. Do you like them all? I, I like the legs the best. I like the legs the best, but lately I've been squeezing my arms because I don't use the arms that much, and I have all this neurological issues with my arms. I'm like, I should be using the arms every freaking day. Well, nobody foam rolls. Like, we use the peanuts and stuff for triceps and forearms and, like, to strip them down, and I'll do it because I'm here, but I fucking work here. Yeah. And I'm a... Exactly. It's Jeremy Scott Fitness. A normal person has never rolled their triceps, which is crazy. Yep. So I've been using it now to to try to improve my issues. Um, So that's common. You'll start there for 20 minutes. And now we have add-ons too, which people add something called the Brain Tap or the Nucom, which is this really cool restorative sleep device. So basically these uh, scientists have figured out how to get the brain waves into a certain state where 20-minute power nap equates to two hours of restful sleep. You know how many people in our society have sleep issues? It's every day. Every I have com- that was I would say that the most common issue I have with people coming into the center when we start to talk to them about what they're working on is they sleep like shit. So and that's because of all the devices and technology and not being able to wind down. There's a lot of reasons for that. And it's actually relatively simple. It's just hard to create the discipline. But ultimately we have these devices that we can pair with compression where you do new calm which is a 20-minute restorative sleep power nap or brain tap, which is really cool guided meditations for all kinds of different things, stress, sleep, you know, whatever you're, you're working on, which is cool. It's a whole little like menu of stuff you can play. Yeah. Then after that, we'll move you into infrared sauna, and you'll do 15 to 20 minutes depending on your cardiovascular health. Obviously, you're healthy. You, know, you could easily do 20 minutes in IR sauna, but IR saunas create a lot of stress, and they really help with detoxification. And there's also something that occurs from heat stress is called heat shock proteins. And heat shock proteins are very interesting if you go down the rabbit hole on that, on how they help with uh, DNA and cellular damage and uh, cellular repair. So um, also they, um, there's been uh, science to show that the heat stress increases growth hormone production naturally, which, you know. Oh, for sure. We want more of that, right, as we get older. Um, and then we coach, you know, we have people there, like trained coaches, you know, I train them personally, every single one of them. And I take them through our certification process of um, learning how to coach people through the cold and learning all these techniques, which is, you know, getting into the water, letting go emotionally. And, you know, people have a lot of stuff out there. People are working on a lot of stuff. And yeah, we're all fucking crazy. But having big releases. So yeah. um, we hold space for people there. And then we help train them, go from hot to cold therapy, uh, hot water, 104, to cold. So they do a, a cycle. A contrast. Contrast therapy, yeah. which is cool. And then um, we have uh, the red light therapy, uh, which is something you can finish on, which just feels really good. Just kind of like get sandwiched by eight panels and just kind of that really works on the mitochondrial function, improving mitochondrial function, improving the uh, cellular um, um, respiration which is really important to give the cells energy. Um, the women like it because it helps to increase collagen production naturally. Hair, skin, and nails. Hair, skin, and nails, which is important, right? Especially for youth, right? Maintaining youth. Um, and then we have something really cool called the biocharger. And biocharger is a basically an invention from Nikola Tesla. If you're familiar with Nikola Tesla from the early 1900s, he was working on a lot of things. He was eventually the creator of alternating current. But most of our technology today, uh, Nikola Tesla basically had a stake in it. 
And um, what what this device does is it puts voltage into the room, tons of voltage. So I can actually take a light bulb out of the the light here, and it will light the light bulb from a distance because it's putting voltage into the air. No oh, shit. So it's basically simulating an electrical storm. So electrical storm is one of the best times to go outside. I mean, of course, when the storm is over. But immediately after the storm is over, go outside and put your feet in the grass and just take a few deep breaths. The air feels crisp because of like the ozone in the air. And also the energy in the ground, it's called pulse electromagnetic field energy. And it's really high at that moment. And basically that's the natural frequency, the natural energies of the earth. And you basically take in these electrons through the body, through a pause. Animals are always grounded in nature. They're always out in nature. We're always disconnected from nature. Because of our shoes. Because of our shoes. So people think you're crazy right now. Now they're listening like, this dude's nuts. He's telling me to run around in a lightning storm with my bare feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's a simple search, but if you think about it, for thousands and thousands of years, we operated this way. And then all of a sudden, we now live in boxes. We now wear rubber sneakers. We now have carpet. We now drive in cars. Like, on the spectrum of humanity, that's a little blip. That's like a total blip in the in the radar of, like, the length of how long we have been around, of how we live today. How we live today is really short. But look at all the issues we have today. Constant inflammation issues. And if you learn about electrons and free radicals and inflammation, you'll realize, oh, shit, I can probably discharge a lot of inflammation just by grounding on a daily basis, which is something really simple. But it's hard for us because we're so busy doing the next thing that just to sit out in our grass for 20 minutes, is like a, it's a big task for us. Well, we don't walk anywhere anymore. Like I think the Mayo Clinic puts it at uh, the average person is like two to 3,000 steps a day. And that's taking into account if I take 20,000, there's a guy that takes less than 1,000 in a day. That means he gets up, walks, goes to the shower, walks to work, or even if he goes to work anymore, and just basically sits on their ass all day long. Like your butt becomes your feet in essence. Yeah. And then, obviously, you eat 5,000 calories for five bucks. You start a screen for 12 hours, and here we are. Yeah. And we wonder, oh, well, I don't, I don't know why we're so sick. I have no idea. That's like, crazy. Like it's some sort of complex science. It's simple. We're disconnected from the earth. We don't ground. We don't move, right? A lot of everything you're teaching is movement, right? Movement, stress. I stress the body. Exercise. Stress is, or exercise is a, a type of hormesis. Fasting is a type of hormesis. Ice baths are a form of hormesis. Saunas are a, f a form of hormesis. So we've gotten so wimpy. We're just wimps. Oh, uh, yeah. We're wimps. And we're basically like, oh, I don't want no stress. I don't want that's stressful. I'm going to hide from stress. I need less stress in my life. So like really what I show up to all my workshops and everything I teach is like, no, you need more stress in your life. You become a wimp. And um, we're going to give you a dose of stress in a controlled and safe manner. Well, so, it's just like a, it's a different, it's a different stress essentially, because the shit you go through, like sitting in traffic or like that's chronic stress. Yeah, or watching like the news. Like these are things that are unhealthy, where there is a challenge of obviously like movement is medicine is, is our belief here, and obviously there's a stress like when you do split squats, they're fucking miserable. You push a slidey ride in a salt bike, it sucks, yeah. 
but there's an adaptation that happens from exactly. that. That's the key. The adaptation, the bone density, right, from throwing heavy weights around, you know, in a, in your, a good way. Your body has to get stronger. Yes. It has to change, yeah. Everything is adapting. It's always adapting. Adaptation is everything. So we're just working with that. We're teaching people how to step into discomfort in a safe and um, constructive way. We're educating them. That's the big gap. So, you know, why are so many people sick? Why are so many people just hooked on pills? Well, because they're not educated. We've given all of our authority away to doctors. Oh, hey, doc, like, I'm not supposed to know how this body works, uh, but you are. You went to school for that. You're the smart one. So if you could tell me how to get this thing working, that would be great, and I'll pay you with this credit card right over here or I'll pay you with my insurance. No, 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 no. You have to take responsibility for your own wellness, your own healing, your own uh, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health. You have to take responsibility. So our mission is really giving people, helping people to get their power back. Not to say that you don't work with doctors, but you work with a doctor in a partnership, just like you would work with a realtor. If your realtor is doing a bad job, what do you do? You fire him. Yeah, instantly. You fire him. You know what I mean? Guess what? The doctor's giving you bad advice, and he's just telling you to go on the medicine, and there's no other way. You fire him, and you find another doctor. So ultimately, if you don't know how your body works, and you don't understand the basic anatomy, physiology of how stuff works, well, then you're going to give away all of your authority. And um, what I like to teach is that, you know, learning about the body is really fun and that it's not as complicated as you think and that there's wonderful, great resources everywhere. And there's really cool, uh, influential people who have written very interesting books and there's a lot of good science on all the natural stuff and non-invasive stuff that exists. So we can all kind of like learn and work together. And, you know, what I noticed is I have MIT, uh, sorry, um, I have uh, Mayo Clinic doctors that are showing up to my workshops. And at first it was very intimidating for me. You know, I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'm going to be spot on on my science, you know, and they're going to hold me accountable. Yeah. Um, which is cool, and, I, and I'm, I appreciate that they do. But I realized that there's a lot they don't know about health, doctors in general. They know, well, in our experience, we probably have 20 that are clients here and have had others on the podcast too. Some are super smart. And some are super smart at one thing. That's, that's what I'm referring to. Nothing yeah. else do they know. Like we have medical professionals here. They could be the chief of staff at a hospital and they don't even know how to set a baseline of macros in their life. Yet these are people who went to school for 10, 12 years to have continuing education. Yet it's such a narrow focus. And it's, I say this all the time, a lot of medical people aren't health people. They're medical people, but they're not health practitioners, meaning they focus on either cutting or solving one problem in the body. But if you're an anesthesiologist, like you might not deal with gut health at all. Never. You're just focused on this one particular area. Yeah. And that's obviously where they will come to you guys and listen to alternatives or a broader scope of how to heal somebody. Broader scope of like, yeah. And a lot of times they're coming for their own self, which is really cool because they're stressed because they're working in a stressful environment. And they're feeling the stress and they're smart enough to know that like the medicine's not going to, you know, just something that they want to be on all the time because they understand enough about like how it can affect your organs and stuff. So they're looking for different approaches. And then what's been really cool is to see some of these folks implement that. 
into their practice. Like, oh, I had a patient the other day. She was feeling really stressed. And, you know, I taught them this basic breathing exercise and how to get their heart rate down and get their blood pressure down. And they were just able to do that through, like, conversation. So that's really cool to see. Which is, and it's, I think it's hard because we're programmed as consumers not to look for that. And I'm sure obviously medical people haven't been taught that over the years because again, the pharmaceutical companies, there's money that's involved in these things. And the hospital's a business. I think a lot of people are confused sometimes like, oh, they're here to help me. They are there to help you, but there's CFOs that run hospitals. We have them here. They're there to make fucking money. And that's, they have to operate that way. And what I'm saying is, when people go in, hey, give me a quick fix and get me out the door. The more patients I see, the more money we make, the, the more profits that come in. The The hard thing is, is that as a doctor being there, you're part of a business and a machine that's running. So you have to obviously churn people out and you, and you want to fix people's problems because if you don't, they'll go somewhere else and they'll get what they want. And it's as a consumer, you have to start asking yourself, okay, well, do I want a quick fix or do I want a real fix of what my problem is? And a lot of people, because we're so busy and because of the lifestyle we've adapted here, they're just searching out that quick, easy fix. It's, it's why we struggle to get people to eat right. Mm. And that's why diets are bullshit and they don't fucking work because you have to find something that is sustainable for the long term. It's a lifestyle change. And the skill of eating is simple. A baby does it, grabs food, puts it in its mouth. That's not what we're trying to change. We're trying to change a behavior pattern like that you do two, three, four times a day every day until you die. And that will always evolve and have to keep adapting. And that's essentially what you're teaching people too. And that's a harder buy-in than, hey, just take this pill. Your lifestyle change is hard. And, you know, that's the biggest obstacle I think doctors have today is because the way the insurance companies are set up, they have very limited time with their patients. So they basically have to correct 30 years of bad habits, bad eating, bad thinking, and 15-minute conversation. It's not going to happen. It's tough. It's tough. And, it um, takes work on the patients or the consumers part. And they're, a lot of the patients are not even bought in, you know. It's like, and then you got to be careful. You can't tell somebody, hey, like, you're super overweight. You're going to, you know, like, they have to be careful with their words. They might get sued. Like, so they're in a tough spot. They're, they're, they're kind of, I feel like, set up to fail. Um, the system's fucked. The system is really, yeah, put them in a really tough spot. And, you know, trying to reverse 30, 40 years of bad habits in a 15, 20 minute conversation once a year, right? For an annual checkup, good luck. So they're in a tough spot, but I think things are changing in a good way, in a good direction. A lot of people are waking up to the idea that they have to take responsibility. And ultimately uh, we are one avenue for that. And uh, what we do is we provide access to our facilities, which will be opening up more around the country. We provide education. Um, you know, through things like this, podcasts, in person, um, some of the articles that we write. And then we believe that there's a very, very important piece that's missing, community. And you've created an amazing community here and uh, collaboration and camaraderie and connection and all those things have a lot to do with our journey, our health journey. It's not just about, you know, if you, you know, bench this weight, it's going to do this for your muscle. Like community plays a big role in um, supporting each other and the way we feel. We're very um, community-oriented uh, type of species, you know? So we create a community where people feel good, where people feel safe, people feel welcome, and uh, that's really important to me. 
I would say that all the time. It's everything. It's the one thing. If I was proud of anything we've ever done, it's that it's the people here. It's we would have a hard time moving or leaving because I'm like I. It'd be hard to replicate this somewhere else. Man, if I go back to the pandemic and like, yeah, business wise, like we made a shit ton of money because we like crushed it on the internet and all these things. The saddest I've ever been because mm. I'm like, I see our camera person or me or my wife every day, and as cool as they are, I'm like. I need more than that because when I come here and like when I can train with these guys, like on a Sunday, we do these terrible fucking workouts. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, but we all hate it together. It's fun. There's community there. There's something in that that I used to get from sports that I don't get in my normal life. And we still, I mean, we bought this place to just still own a gym. I could make money on the internet all day, but I wouldn't get my cup filled internally if I wasn't here with these guys. And that's a huge part of me being healthy. And I notice it when I'm not around or when I have to sit on this computer all day and just do computer work. I just don't feel right. Like I feel like I'm off. Like it's not normal. Exactly. Just think about how many people. Now you're lucky enough to be in the industry, right? Where you get to connect with people. You get to train with people. You get to have this amazing exercise uh, facility, right? And basically your own home here. And... How many people are working remote from home with all of the fear that's been in the air for the last few years with everything regarding this pandemic, and they work from home all day oh, on the computer, answering phones, and they're doing nothing. They're not grounding. They're not exercising. They're not eating well. Um, You're just stressing. They're not doing anything. Like, do that for a short period of time, and things are going to go downhill fast. The cells are going to, like not function well and all kinds of stuff is going to go downhill. And that's the majority. That's the majority. That mental stress that people deal with is a majority. So I, we help people to get out of their head into their body, um, through different techniques. And I think that's important today's day because we're all just doing this on the computer, typing away, staring at screens and, um, looking at screens, you know, well into the night, everything's screens. It's a it's a one-way street, sadly, because we're not going backwards. And so the technology rabbit hole only gets deeper. So if you can put safeguards around, like, it's helpful. But, man, it is a lot. Uh, more than I ever thought it would be. And even, like, I mean, shit, 15 years ago, it was a fraction of this. And it's only getting more ramped up each day. So before I get you out of here, um, if you had a piece of advice for somebody who's, you know, either living in, like, pain or discomfort or they just don't make like rest recovery a priority in their life. And they find themselves, I don't want to say like spiraling out of control, but maybe they're just like, they're stressed and they don't know, you know, what to do. Obviously if they're local and they, they pop into your place, like you guys kind of walk them through the protocols or like, how does it work? Or for anybody listening, like, where would you start? Like when you found yourself, like, Hey man, my shit is just not on the right track. Like what, how do I kind of turn it around? Well, that's a good question. Thank you for asking that. Um, well, obviously, if they're local, come in to optimize, and we'll um, show you our process, right? So that's relatively simple. Well, you have this outlet. You're here. You're local. Uh, we'll teach you. We'll educate you. We'll support you in your journey. For the people who don't have access, um, which is uh, a lot of people around the country, around the world, is be curious. That's the, that's the main thing I say is be curious. Um, you know, no one gave us instructions on how this body works when we were born or the mind, uh, this brain between our ears. 
the software in between, uh, you know, in our skulls here, no one gave us instructions on how to utilize this. So be curious and learn. Um, there's so many great resources out there to start to learn about anatomy, physiology, and how the body works. But it could also be TMI, so you have to be careful because it could be overwhelming, especially if you don't necessarily have an interest in science. But the main thing I will say to you is that you know discipline is our friend. It's kind of got a bad word because it's like, oh, you're going to be disciplined or you know, this is kind of um, almost like stress-related type of term. But what I believe uh, is discipline is the key to happiness. And if you look at areas of your life where you're lacking some discipline, well, start to make improvements in that area. So it could be something as simple as like, I'm eating way too much. I'm eating shitty food. I know it. It's not rocket science. Like, I know that eating the fast food or all these types of things is not good for me. Okay, got it. Um, we don't expect you to have a perfect diet tomorrow. But guess what you can start doing? You can start skipping breakfast a few times a week. And you can start doing intermittent fasting, something as simple as that. You know, And that's an old technique. That's super old. And there's an interesting statistic here. The Middle East um, has the highest sugar content in the world. They eat the most sugar out of all the cultures that exist. A lot of sugar in their diet. We all know that there's a correlation between sugar and cancer. But they also have the lowest cancer rates in the world. No shit. Yeah. So the Middle East eats all the sugar, right? And I'm sure they have their daily stress and chronic stress, just like a lot of different cultures. But they have the lowest cancer rates in our culture, or sorry, in the world. Why? Well, if you go into like their process, right, because of religion, they do a lot of fasting. So they're one of the, the few cultures that pretty much stick to fasting. And because of Ramadan, because of their their religion, they implement that. Also, it's just like socially unacceptable for women to smoke in that culture. So there's like kind of like less smoking, at least for females, not for men. A lot of men smoke, but for females, they don't smoke in a lot of the, the Middle Eastern countries. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East, but they fast. So something as simple as that. And they don't even like do a super strict fast. Like some of them do, but I would say a lot don't. So fasting is something you can do. It's simple. Um, you can uh, start a breathing exercise by learning how to do the Wim Hof method and you know, coming to a workshop or downloading the app and just going through that process. So find areas in your life where you're lacking some discipline and just start to make small steps. And the first thing I would say is wake up and make your bed. That's it, the old military shit. Wake up and make your bed because you know something? Who the hell wants to make their bed when they wake up? I sure the hell don't. But I'll tell you this. It starts your day off with one small win. One tiny, tiny, tiny small win, and you feel good. And then you kind of go throughout the day kind of making these small wins, and it just keeps you on this positive forward momentum trajectory, and it just keeps your vibration a little bit higher. And um, when your vibration's high, lots of good things come to you. It's like a magnet, you know. You're tuned to a certain frequency, and the right people come into your life that want to help you out. That's kind of like the don't hit the snooze. Like you just get up. As soon as your alarm goes, just put your feet in the ground and just move. Oh, I like yours. You you on your Instagram, you said something about working out's a non-negotiable. Yeah. Well, I'll never skip. I love that. No matter what. Yeah. Well, even on days where I feel like shit and I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. I'm like, just just train through it, dude. 
and I always, and again, it doesn't got to be the best workout. Sure. It could just be pushing a sled for 30 minutes, just mindless bullshit, which is grinding. And I'm a grinder, but it sounds terrible to people, but I always feel better when it's done. Always. It's non-negotiable. And to your point, like the discipline and people think of it as like, this is this negative term. There's so much freedom when you have discipline in your life, like where you can play with it because you own a skill and now you, you kind of control it. Where if I don't have that, like, can you look at any area of my life that's not great? There's no discipline in it. The areas that I'm great at, I have this regimented routine, almost like military-like, where it's just boom, yeah. boom, boom. Repetition. Yeah. And you operate great there. And it's the same thing with, and again, I, I hated mobility forever. I hated doing tissue work forever. Why? Because it's painful. I wasn't flexible. Now it's like I can't do anything without it because I crave it almost. It becomes like this thing I need to do. And I feel better because of it. Your stuff is the same way, man. Yeah. And we all have areas of our life. I mean, all kinds of different areas that you could poke in. And uh, for the people out there that are listening, just, you know, take a peek. Start making small little adjustments and you'll start to feel good. And then just ride that wave. And then it'll just open up lots of different doors. And let me tell you, it's a fun journey. I've learned a lot. And I'm still learning. And the learning will never end. So where do these uh, where do these guys uh, find you at or stalk you? Whether it's the website, social media, you name it. Sure, the easiest way to find me is on Instagram, and my first name's Michael underscore Roviello R O V is in Victor I E L L O. You can follow my account there. That's where I'm the most active. I like to talk about rabbit holes related to health and wellness. I like to talk about all things related to freedom. Um, I'm very much interested in. Um, um, nature. I'm very much interested into uh, mental health, physical health, emotional health. I'm also interested in uh, global kind of events as well. So um, that's just what I share personally on there. Um, Optimize is the name of our company. And uh, you can find us on Instagram as well as optimize underscore me, O-P-T-I-M-Y-Z-E. We spell a little different. Um, or you can go to our website at www.optimizeoptimyze.me and um, it lists all of our services, a little bit of information about us. We have some blogs on there and um, we're working on doing uh, more work digitally, right? Because we have the centers and we work with a lot of people face-to-face, -face, uh, probably a lot like you started. And now we're getting into, okay, how do we reach people outside of Arizona do a better job of that? I dig it, dude. I'll um, I'll link all this in the show notes so you guys can stalk them. Just don't be a creep uh, when you find them. But uh, I'll definitely put everything in there. This is good stuff, dude. I appreciate your time, man. This is legit. Um, we'll bring you back on, too, because we could talk about a million things all day. But we're at almost three hours. And wow. I'm about to uh, pee my pants in Holy a minute. Holy cow. Yeah, crazy. I can't believe that was three hours. Yeah, two, what are we, like 2.39 and counting, something Jeez. like that. Yeah, it's gnarly. That's cool. But when you like what you do... It, they call this work, but that's true. This is work, right? I mean, that's what they tell me. Here I am. Uh, but no, this is good stuff, man. I like it. I'm definitely going to come by too. Yes. I like a lot of this. This is, this is all important stuff. And again, it's just people taking the time, not being so busy, you know, working in your life. You can't take a step back and work on your life. And this is, again, if you can dedicate, it's, it's a lot of time you put, this is your life though. So you put a lot of time into it where people might not have an hour you know, every day they don't have to. 
if you can do a couple of times a week some of these things or these 15 minutes of daily practice stuff i always say with fitness too like an hour long investment is like four percent of your day and most of the stuff we do here are in 30 minute increments because that's what people can dedicate to it and if it's three by 52 30 minutes three times a week 52 weeks it's more than enough of an investment to get a huge return and we're not asking a lot so if you're talking about 15 minutes of breathing exercises a couple of times a week if you're watching netflix or football games whatever i'm like this is such a bigger roi and in fitness we do this terrible job but we teach these all these complex skills and what's the most important thing you have to do every day breathe without that you're done that's the number one thing before drinking water before eating you have to breathe yet so many of us go through our lives just breathing erratically we don't control it. We don't think about it. We just kind of move. And we don't even understand when we're holding our breath when we're stressed out. So It's a direct connection to your nervous system. So if you want to change your state, learn breathing exercises. At first, I thought breathing exercises were super weird. It was like, what is this? It's kind of like hippie stuff. Like I just it, I wasn't attracted to it at first, I'll be honest with you. you know, I'm just speaking uh, transparently here. But when I learned how you can direct your nervous system based on the way you breathe, that was so powerful. And now I have uh, able to influence that at will. And uh, Wim, the Wim Hof method is uh, essentially what exposed me to that, and I appreciate him for, for that message. I dig it, man. Thank you for your time, brother. Thank um, you. I'll, uh, I'll link all his stuff in the show notes. You guys will see it here. Uh, again, if you guys want to pick up Athletic Greens, the site athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott for a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs, or hit me up and we'll get you guys a free sample to try. And uh, feel free to check out the Optimized website. I'll link all of his social media stuff. You can stalk him there. I appreciate you guys as always. I'll either be back on Sunday or worst case scenario next Friday. We'll be back here cracking as always. So until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.